Welcome in to the best in true crime podcasting. This is True Crime Tuesday. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. I'm excited, folks, because we have a guest on today that a lot of you have been asking for for the last few years. Uh, we have Jess Lurie on the program, and we're going to talk about a book that is out now. It's uh, been out for just a few days. Uh, I had the pleasure of reading this book last week, last week into this weekend, and I will tell you, folks, this book is outstanding. It's called The Taken Ones, a Reed and Steinbeck thriller. And it is a book of fiction. However, there is some elements of it that kind of extend into the here and now and into this world. It takes place here in the Twin Cities. And there are a lot of elements that literally exist right here in, in this world. And we'll get into it with Jess and tell you why and, and why it exists in this world. Um, to give you an idea, it's centered around the Minneapolis Police Department and the BCA, the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension. They're real, they're real police departments and real, real criminal elements, although the characters are fictional. And the case itself is, is an interesting case that uh, we'll talk to Jess more about here in just a moment. Uh, Jess Lurie, if you don't know who this author is, then by gosh, I think you're sleeping under a rock. She is amazing. She's the Amazon Charts best-selling Edgar-nominated ITW thriller, Anthony and Minnesota book award-winning author of young adult magical realism, crime fiction, nonfiction, and children's books. She's a retired professor of writing and sociology, a recipient of the Lofts Excellence in Teaching Fellowship, and a TEDx presenter. You can check out her TEDx talk to discover the surprising inspiration behind May Day, which is her first published novel. We like to say here in Minnesota, she's one of us. She's a, she's a Minnesotan. She lives right here in Minneapolis with a rotating batch of foster kittens, and occasional foster puppies, uh, so we love her even more because she loves animals. So we'll, we'll uh, talk a bit about that as well here on the program. We've got a link to find out more about her and about her writings. Let's bring her in now to True Crime Tuesday. Jess Lurie, how you doing, Jess? I am doing so well now that I'm here. Thank you for having me. This is absolutely my jam. I can't wait to talk to you. Well, we, we can't wait to talk to you. You know, I've had so many listeners who have come forward and said, how come Jess hasn't been on the program? And I say, it's just my own fault. <laughs> That's all it is. You know, it's funny because my last four books before The Taken Ones were all inspired by true crimes mm -hmm. at the heart of it. And The Taken Ones is the first one where I almost entirely made up the crime. <laughs> it's a brilliant one, though. I'll tell you that. It, it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's brilliant to the point of... You know, we, we talk about Elizabeth Smart and that whole thing. And I really do feel like it, it is almost inspired by Elizabeth Smart. And and yeah, we can get absolutely. into the basics of it here in, in a moment. Um, but boy, is it brilliant. The, the, the Taken Ones is really, I, I can't I can't heap enough praise on you. And I, I will heap a lot of praise on you here, Jess, <laughs> uh, during our time together today uh, of how brilliant this is. Um, you know, because I am a Minnesotan, I can only stand so much praise true, before true, I completely yeah. shut down. That's so. true. I, I don't want you to shut down on me here. And, and, okay. Okay, but thank there you. will be a lot of yeah, you betchas and a lot of uh, yeah. a lot of okay, uh, yeah. niceties That's between okay, us. Then. Yeah. 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 Um, 
and and I did wear my Minnesota Viking sweatshirt just I for the see that. Yeah, yeah. So we can. We <laughs> I've got could, my Duluth sweatshirt on. Oh, so there we're you go. Good. So yeah. I, I was going to say we could talk about failure as well uh, in this deal and, and trauma. Does that and, go hand in hand with Minnesota? Yeah, oh, Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. and trauma. <laughs> trauma is yeah. a big part of this 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 uh, book. That's kind of why I wore the Viking sweatshirt. Um, <laughs> it kind of goes hand in hand. I shouldn't laugh, but that is so. Funny. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Yes. There's kind of a you know double double edged joke there. Um, I, I do want to start out talking about trauma because it is it, it's huge in this book and and what I liked about the characters is is the many shades of gray with the characters. Nobody here is wearing a white hat with with the characters. Is that truly intentional or or is it just the way it came out in the wash? It, I wanted it to come out that way. I started with this idea of I want to do cold case meets urban legend. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of the the playground that I had to work from. And then I, as you mentioned, I love animals. So I injected that into it. And then I wanted wanted an 80s vibe. I wanted sort of a 80s, 90s uh, X-Files vibe. Mm -hmm. So from there, I'm like, you know what? The best heroes and the best criminals are flawed. They have, um, you know, the hero might think they're a villain sometimes. The villain always thinks they're the hero of the story. And so I deliberately wanted to play around with that. Uh, the one thing I definitely intentionally wanted to do, though, was to center the victim. I think in a lot of crime fiction, the victim serves as a as a device to get the, uh, yeah. the the detectives on the page. And I really wanted to do it the other way around and really center people who who had no did not deserve what happened to them and, and who could not have foreseen it and so they're whole people and i wanted to make that the center of the novel and you really did that um sometimes yeah. it is hard i think as a reader to to get into the space of a, a victim or the victim and and really feel for that victim you feel the the atrocity that's been put on them and you get in that space and you feel the emotion behind it. We, we can never fail to feel the emotion behind an atrocity. Right. I think because we put ourselves in that space and it's easy to put ourselves in that space, but it's, it's hard to feel for that person because we're never put there and stay with that person throughout the, uh, throughout the novel. Right. Um, however, You've managed to keep that person front and center, or those people yeah. in this case, which again, I, I'm going to heap the praise here. I'm going to commend you for that on that on that chest. Um, all the while, you keep our our hero and the the characters surrounding that hero front and center too. It, it's again, the characters are very rich here, and and oh, good. throughout throughout the entire book, and and it's easy to, uh, it's easy to. Not necessarily, necessarily fall in love with them, but relate to them. You know, mm -hmm. um, I I gotta I gotta say that that when you have characters with shades of gray, it's it's you don't necessarily fall in love with them, but you you do relate and you do want to root for them. I think that's fair to say, right? Yeah, I was hoping so. I um, I make a rule never to read my reviews, but I have somebody who handles my social media account, and she passed on a review that said, I did not like Van, who's the who's the point of view character in this book, Evangeline Reed, a BCA agent. I did not like her, but I couldn't stop rooting for her. And I loved that comment because mm -hmm. uh, 
it's hard it's hard to do i think it's easy to root for somebody who's just good i think it's harder to root for somebody who makes some really bad choices mm-hmm. but ultimately also makes some really good ones i don't know that i necessarily agree with that but i see what they're saying okay um and and let's let's get into that a little bit with the pretense of trauma and 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 this is why now evangeline reed is someone who really starts out life behind the eight ball, right? Yeah, she really does. She really does, as do most of my protagonists. So with Unspeakable Things, which was my uh, came out in 2000, it is set in a fictionalized Painesville, Minnesota, which is where I grew up. And in Painesville, in the 80s, boys were abducted and returned, and they nobody would tell us what was going on. And of course, when Jacob Wetterling was the ninth boy who was not abducted from Painesville, but abducted up the road in St. Joe and not returned, the whole world knew about it. But it was just a very traumatic uh, secondhand, right? It wasn't in any of those families, but a secondhand trauma that we all swam in in Painesville. Yeah. And so I'm just very interested in what that does to a person to grow up with sort of that background trauma always always around. How do you, how do you make... How do you turn out not to be the monster that you were exposed to? And it's possible, right? Of course it's possible, but it's 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 a long road to hoe. Yeah, yeah. And the question always is, when it comes to that trauma, do you become the trauma that's inflicted on you or can you rise above the trauma that's inflicted on you and become something different? Do you carry the characteristics of that trauma or do you become something different because of that trauma? Uh, I, I think that's really important. And it's interesting how Van struggles with that and at the same time tries to rise above that. And I think that struggle is very well played out throughout this entire book. Thank you. And I think I really was aiming for it to give her almost superpowers as a law enforcement agent, right? Because if you have been on the other side of that eight ball, if that's where you started out, you're much more sympathetic to people who also started out there and much more able to see the full the full story because you don't have as many stereotypes because you've been a stereotype, right? People want to pigeonhole you. Mm-hmm. And so when you're on that side of the equation, if you do it right, you can really have some some superpowers as an agent. Right. So we go from Van, who's dealt with trauma. Again, I don't want to give too much away about the book. And so it's, it's hard because there's a there is a yeah. big twist at the end of this one. Yeah, and and there's there's <laughs> this, there's this thread of trauma that that goes throughout the book. It's just it it and and you find out through through some of our supporting characters that trauma touches everyone, and in whether it be in in small doses or in larger doses. Um. The one thing, you know, and there's there's also something else here, Jess. I know I'm kind of skipping around a little bit here, but there's 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 something to be said about trauma that is inherited by us and trauma that's inflicted by other people. And I want to I want to expound on that for a second here. Okay. I was thinking about this the other day as I'm as I'm reading the Taken ones, and I'm thinking about generations. And I was thinking, you know, you're talking about the 80s, 80s, 90s vibe and the 80s in particular. And again, I'm, I'm a child of the 70s and 80s. Uh, in the 80s, I was in that 10, you know, the, the 10 to, well, it would be 10 to 18 
age range. I remember there's a line in the book that really hit me hard. And it was, and my parents are in that 70s age range right now. They're, they're the baby boomer uh, age range. And it's the line of, well, that was kind of the times when talking right. about how they were raising the children. And, well, that's just kind of the times, you know, to let them run free. And pardon my language, Jess, but it's kind of a bullshit excuse. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. That one and everybody's doing the best that they can. Yes. Those are the two that make me so angry I turn blue. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I don't buy either of those. Because they weren't raised that way. Yeah. Their parents were the greatest generation. Their parents were the ones who raised them attentively and gave them everything they could to make sure that they were raised as quote unquote properly as they could, even though they saw the way they were raised as being traumatic. They were attentive. They were attentive parents. Yeah. The, the kids of, I should say our, our generation or the, the kids that were running around in the seventies and eighties were running around like free range kids. I mean, we were latch, right. The term latchkey kids yes. was invented for us. I do wonder though about our parents and, I mean, our parents' generation was the generation of the golden age of serial killers, right? And so yes. it was, I think there's always throughout history been stuff going on behind closed doors. I think as humans, we're really good at fronting and really good at pretending everything's fine in our homes. Um, but I think there is a, enough trauma to go around in every generation. True. Yeah, I do remember in the 70s, I, I have this very clear memory. I grew up in St. Cloud before mm -hmm. we moved to Painesville in 76. And I have this very clear memory of walking around the neighborhood with my sister pulling our, our red radio flyer wagon behind us. Mm -hmm. And can you imagine a four-year-old and a six-year-old walking around St. Cloud, Minnesota today? We were walking around and this police car pulled up and they, and they brought us back to our parents' house. And we thought we were in trouble, but it turned out two girls had disappeared, right? 1974 St. Cloud. And they were getting all the kids off the streets. And I just remember not being able to put that anywhere in my head back then, but I used that memory to write The Quarry Girls, which was my book that came out last year, because I think there is just so much that it seems on the surface like it's fine, but underneath it's pretty dark. Yeah, yeah. And as I'm reading your book, I'm remembering, I'm remembering certain memories. You know, you, 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 there's a thing about key parties that comes up. And, and the, the, yeah, I know you're, you're giggling. I'm giggling too, because I'm remembering a memory and now mind you, I, I grew up, um, part of my days were spent in Blaine, Minnesota. Part of my days are spent in Ham Lake, Minnesota. I'm remembering these big quote unquote block parties that would happen and, you know, all the families would get together and, you know, kids are kind of running around and whatnot, but they're, they're being taken care of. But neighbors are getting together and they're they're hanging out and partying and, and whatnot but the kids are running around kind of free but you're wondering as a kid now when you look back at that what other <laughs> stuff is going on right uh, to use an 80s term it was grody it was super grody <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah because there were certain neighbors that were disappearing out of the party you know yeah. yes and yeah. you you think about it, your your mind goes back to it, and you're like, well, wait a minute. 
Yeah. You know, as a kid, you weren't thinking anything of it. But now as an adult, you go, oh, 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 okay. Yeah. My parents were famous for having those parties in the 70s. And it was just not great. I got to tell you, not not a good time for a kid. I mean, as kids, it was great because was, you were staying up late and you were riding bikes around, you were playing, you were doing whatever, and you were unsupervised. So you thought it was cool, right? Yeah. 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 I just, it's, it was different times. It was totally different times. Yeah. But were they good times? I don't, you know, I mean, would you go back and I think we're the same age. Would you go back and do your childhood differently if you could? Yeah. Would you, what would you change? I think I would have had more structure. Yeah. I'll tell you, I, I mean, I've said it before on the, on the show, my, my parents divorced when I was 13 years old. That was 1983 when it was looked upon with shame. Yeah. I lost a lot of friends. At, oh, I'm sorry. Because of that. And, and there was, uh, you know, and, and, and at that time, you know, as, as kids, you were, kids had to choose at that point when my parents split based on, on which families were siding with who. So I lost, sure. I lost a ton of friends because of that. But, um, I mean, that's neither here nor there, but, but with that, um, it's just one of those things where I think there, there, if there would have been more structure, um, as far as families watching after children, mm-hmm. I think there would have been a lot more, I think sec- is security the word I'm looking for here? I think internalized security, right? That that feeling that we carry with us uh, throughout life if we have structure when we're kids. I agree with you. It's very important. Yeah. I don't think there'd be as many therapists making as much money. <laughs> no. There are so many therapists. My son is going to college to be a therapist because everybody in my family's messed up. And so yeah. he said practice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think therapists would be make, making as much money. I don't think uh, psychology would be as big as a, a big of a, a, a staple, uh, a staple industry right now as it is. You know, I heard a I heard a doctor talking about epigenetics, that idea of generational trauma, and apparently, we can. Our bodies react to the trauma up to four generations past. And so our your great, great, great grandparents' trauma is something that your body still reacts to. Hmm. Okay. Which, which kind of blows my mind. And they study it in very measurable ways. And so if your ancestors had um, lived during a famine, for example, your body will process food differently. Like it'll hang on to calories more because it's it's queued up for a famine. But they think it applies to emotional trauma too. So I think there, I think, I think the bill has come due. I think there'd be a lot of therapists needed regardless. I think True. it's time to to address a lot of that. A lot of that stuff, which is why I write about secrets, because as long as they live in the dark, they can hurt people. Once you pull them out into the light, um, they sort of shrivel up. They scream first, but they sort of shrivel up. I believe that. Yeah, completely. And boy, a generation or two from now, there are going to be a lot of bills coming due. There's, I think so. Just the last few years, right? But if you notice, I mean, maybe I'm getting a little off topic here, but if you notice the kids that are coming of age now tend to be kinder, gentler children. They tend to be more sensitive towards feelings and each other's needs and tend to be more attentive towards those needs as well. 
That is such a good point. I agree with you that my son's generation, he's 21 and younger, their their emotional intelligence is off the charts. Yes, they are. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Which is which is encouraging. I find that encouraging. Yeah. yeah. Right? Because you and me, our generation, we're so messed up, there's no coming back. But maybe yeah. maybe the younger ones. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's hope yet. That's for sure. That's for sure. Um, getting back to the taken ones. Uh, with that, with that being said, with trauma being a, a running thread throughout the throughout the book, um, when we get down to the actual victims and their their trauma, with it being continually enforced, that trauma is being continually enforced. It's not just a thing where it's a one time trauma with with the victims here. It it is. A lifetime for for lack of lack of a spoiler here it is a lifetime of trauma it is a continuing trauma it is a trauma that does not go away how do you recover from something like that you've you've put a you've put a antagonist here mm-hmm. that you can't yeah it's like the the scab is continually picked yeah how do God, you, that's such a good image yeah you know and i think that there there is a misconception, or at least it's so painful to think about people who experience one traumatic event and then have to live with that trauma for the rest of their lives. It's so painful to think about that, that I think sometimes people will assume, well, it happened in the past or it was 10 years ago, so you're fine now. And that is not how it works, right? I mean, it's the human brain doesn't work that way. It keeps looking for that threat everywhere. Mm-hmm. I do think recovery is possible. I've, it, in my research, I have seen it with a good therapist, um, with connection, with connection to people so that you can find your way back to sort of that humanity. I think the healing is possible, but I think it's hard. And I want to honor that when I'm writing about victims. Absolutely. I tell you what, we'll take our break here. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about the characters in the book, uh, the the surrounding characters, especially about Van and and her her background. Her background is very interesting. I want to know where this comes from, the the, the genesis of this this character, because it's so incredibly interesting, um, and the mindset of of how you escape that beginning. And go to how she becomes part of the BCA, the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension, um, and how you came to use the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension as a, as a device here in, in the Minneapolis Police Department. I want to get to that as well. Our guest is Jess Lurie. The book is The Taken Ones. It's out right now. We have a link to it in the description of this program. Uh, again, a wonderful, wonderful book. I encourage you all to go out and get that book. Uh I finished it very quickly. It's a it's it's a, it's a longer book, but it's a quick read. It, it goes very very quickly, folks. You're going to get enthralled with this book. I encourage you to pick it up during the break. When we come back. We'll talk more about the Taken Ones. We'll talk about the the major character Van and what exactly was the genesis of this character. We'll do that when we come back right here on the best in true crime podcasting. This is True Crime Tuesday. Welcome back to the best in true crime podcasting. This is True Crime Tuesday. I'm your host Tim Dennis. Our guest is Jess. Our guest is Jess Lurie. Uh, the book is The Taken Ones, a Reed and Steinbeck thriller. It is uh, book one in the series, and I'll tell you, folks, this book is amazing. It is simply amazing. Uh, I was enthralled with it from beginning to end. I read it very, very quickly. 
the book, Jess, I'll tell you, I found the the main character, Van Reed, to be extremely enthralling, um, complex. And as someone who likes characters that have shades of gray, um, her beginnings are, and we're going to go through exactly what it is with her that, that makes her so complex, but you talk about a character that starts out behind the eight ball. Tell us about her beginnings. What is it about her that is so tragic and difficult? How does she start? What are her beginnings? Yeah. So, so Van Reed grows up on a, basically a cult in Minnesota. And so in my head, it's somewhere around where I grew up near Painesville, Minnesota, and it's run by this charismatic, uh, controlling evil a uh, man named Frank. And to the world, Frank looks like this uh, wonderful farmer who's got this organic farm, makes these jams and jellies. But behind the scenes, he um, doesn't allow any of the boys to stay past age 18. He's the only man allowed there. And he's just got all these women and children basically doing his bidding. And Van and the rest of the people get broken out of there when she's 18. But by then, she's so deeply damaged uh, that she wanders around for a while and only ends up working for uh, getting her getting her criminal justice degree and working for um, the Minneapolis Police Department by accident. She she finds out she finds out that dreams she's been having might be actually visions and they might be guiding her to criminals and she can use that to catch people who are doing to other people what Frank did to her and her sisters. And I love that aspect of it. That that little bit of supernatural aspect where she has these dreams and visions that help her catch these different criminals ahead of time or something that's unusual about the book. And they're deadly accurate, these visions. They're deadly accurate. And you know, between you and me and anybody who's listening, I believe in visions, right? I think it's not unusual at all for people to have precognitive dreams. I think we just don't have the science yet to explain it. Mm-hmm. So it was just very natural to me that this sort of uh, this sort of upbringing where she was in a in a steam cooker her whole life would bring out those natural talents that I think everybody has to a degree. And it's very hard in a in a more scientific arena like like a police department to to come out and say hey i've had this vision you can call it a hunch like like she does uh, quite often but to have this kind of vision and say hey i know for a fact this is going on you're supposed to presume everyone is innocent until proven guilty but to to say hey i know for a fact this is going on over here let's go get them doesn't exactly hold up to what you're supposed to be doing Right, which is why she's got this wonderful partner at the at the uh, Minneapolis Police Department who covers for her. He does the police work based on her hunches. He's an old school, older guy, and so he doesn't ask her anything about it. He just trusts it and follows through to do the legwork. But then he dies very suddenly. And so that's this is all backstory. We're not giving anything mm-hmm. away. Yep. So, so now Van is thrust into this uh, new job at the BCA, uh, the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension. And she doesn't have anybody to cover for with these abilities she has and it kind of makes things dark for her for a while yeah absolutely throughout the book we we go back and forth from 
present day in the case that she's this cold case that she's trying to crack with the taken ones, these these girls that that have been taken on the edge of the woods in Leech Lake and her past with Frank's farm. Mm -hmm. And again, not getting into any of the backstories that that are in the book, but it involves the cult that Frank has has set up around the farm, which is absolutely chilling. And as I'm reading this, you know, having grown up a little bit of my life in Ham Lake, and I think of how desolate it was at the time that we moved out there, because it, it, I start to think of some of the people that existed out there, and I'm, I'm not disparaging Ham Lake at all, but, but you talk about some of the people you met out there as a kid, and then you think about Frank, and I have this image of Frank in my head, and I go, God, I met that guy when I was a kid. <laughs> what was his name in Ham Lake? Tell us. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't know if I give a specific name, Jess, but I'm like, you know, I met that guy. And that, and, and I think I've been by that farm. But, mm. You know, there's a few towns that are north of Ham Lake that have these farms. I don't know that they're communal, but they, you know, but... You know, they, there's there's a few people that work these farms, and and by gosh, that could have been Frank's farm. Yeah, we don't know what goes be, goes on behind closed doors, right? Or closed fences. Yeah, and and to think that maybe that was going on just a few miles up Highway 65. I don't know. See, this is how writers get their ideas. We just drive by and we're like, what is going on up there? And then you just backfill from there. <laughs> and and I'm like, wait a minute, was she up Highway 65 and knew something I didn't? <laughs> I was not. It's not. Okay. We can say I was. Okay, okay. Because it, it sure felt like it. Um, now I, I want to go to where you think it was. <laughs> and look. <laughs> I could point it out to you. Um, Do it. But but there's there's a there's a lot about this book that hits home and you, and you you know you you think to yourself okay well so I have to where I'm leading with this Jess is how much of this is is blurred lines how much of this when when I'm reading this book and I'm reading about Frank's farm is there a bit of Frank's farm that's based in reality. Yeah, well, so I will say that most of my writing is blurred, blurred lines. Um, and actually, I think most writing is, right? I mean, some of it we make from whole cloth, but most of it is knit from our experiences, experience of people we talk to. The characters have to be totally fictional because, mm -hmm. um, because Fiction, fictional characters have to be consistent and humans aren't, right? The people we know do not behave consistently, but they have to within a story. So the characters are made up, but the, but they're a little bit, they're a little bit inspired by people I meet. They're sort of a composite, but it's not the Ham Lake guy, although okay. I do really <laughs> want to know who that is. <laughs> well, because Frank is absolutely chilling. I mean, most cult leaders are, but there, there's something to him that you know all all cult leaders have this they're, they're just a little bit too off the beaten path when it comes to a religious belief yeah but he's even though he doesn't in 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 your book he doesn't he doesn't really espouse one religious belief or another you can tell he's on the edge of fanatical Mm -hmm. And he's he's got his beliefs. He's separated, as you put it, he's separated the women 
and the children from the men. The men are gone very quickly. Uh, when they become a man, they're gone very quickly. But he's still got the fanatical beliefs. And, and you know, he's he's he turns, as you put it, the sisters into mothers. Mm-hmm. And he recruits from within as to when he's going to decide, you know, who he's going to keep around. I guess for breeding purposes, we'll put it that way. It's very creepy. It's all very creepy. Creepy. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's um, just the thought of everything. I mean, it's, you're right in the, the cult mind mindset, you know? Yeah. Um, it is. And when you look at the at cults from the outside, it seems so easy to, to say, how would anybody ever fall for that? But I think we're all looking for connection and for belonging. And I think, I think there's a lot of charismatic people who create, um, I was at the time I was writing this, I was watching the, do you see the documentary on Nexium? Yes. Yeah. yeah I would, so I kind of had that in the back of my head of how these intelligent people, uh, can can fall for this right and it, right. but but they do and and they're but for the grace of god go i right i mean there's just if you find that person who's who has the right siren song i think we'd all follow it and that was going to be my question how how do you from there with the stories from frank's farm you get the mindset of a young van mm-hmm. and how she feels the things she's seeing, how the world is bright and shiny, but at the same time is incredibly scary. Yeah. And the fear she feels for, for, for Frank. And how do you convey those feelings and, and, and make them feel genuine? Cause everything feels very genuine and how you go from young van to current day van. And how do you, how you show the blunted edges of van and the cynicism of Van in current day, as opposed to bright and shiny Van as a youngster, and and vacillate back and forth because we are going back and forth between, um, and it's done brilliantly. And and I was wondering how how you switch gears so quickly. One and and two, what the frame of reference is, and and you did say the Nexium documentary, but how do you get into those mindsets and mind frames so quickly? The, thank you for all your kind words. The um, the younger mindset is easy for me, especially if I set it in the in the eighties or nineties, because mm-hmm. I can go back there in just a heartbeat. I, can, I just have some really vivid anchor memories that pull me back to that. For the current mindset, I um, I watch horror movies. I literally just pull up horror movie after horror movie after horror movie, and I put myself in the position of everybody in that movie. And I try to physically feel it. So it becomes like method acting, but it's method writing. And so I sort of immerse myself in horror. And then I write kind of horrific things with, I hope, justice and and hope at the end of them. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. There's a character that, that Van is looking to glom onto, for lack of a better term, um, who she kind of adopts as her new partner, and that's Harry, uh, mm-hmm. who is the forensic. Harry. He's yeah, he's the forensic scientist, for lack of a better term, at the at the BCA, uh, who's very sharply dressed, almost looks like a Hollywood star, I believe, is yeah. how you describe him. Um, and sharply dressed is is kind of playing it down a little bit. He's always yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, no, he is he is well put together, but you got to watch out for those controlled folks. <laughs> There's always <laughs> something there, huh? Always something there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and it's hard to tell what exactly Van is thinking about him the entire time, yeah. or, or what her impression of him is. It's you know, Van has these walls that are up, and and she she's very tightly controlled herself. Her impression of the outside world is based on her security. And you really can tell it's based on her well-being. And she doesn't let a lot of people in. Mm. And it, you can tell she has a hard time letting in even her own people because she's afraid of betrayal. Mm -hmm. Right, because she's experienced it so many times. Yeah. So what is it about Harry that she feels like she could possibly let him in? Yeah, so I want... I want this to be an ongoing series, right? And so it started with a short story um, that my editor asked me to write. And for the first time, and maybe the only time in my life, the whole story fell into my lap with the twist and everything. And Van was at the center of it, but I needed her to have uh, a foil, right? I needed her to have uh, Felix to her Oscar, right? Some, mm -hmm. wait, who was the messy one in the odd couple? Oscar. Uh, yeah, yeah, a Felix to her Oscar. And so um, so Harry was born, but he wasn't fully fleshed out in that short story. And so in this book, in the Taken Ones, I wanted them to build on the potential for a friendship. But I think very naturally, if somebody is as wounded and traumatized as Van is, it's going to take some time. Mm -hmm. And so she really doesn't know if she can trust him or not. She's kind of feeling it out in this first book and she has many reasons not to trust him but also he comes across as a very steady guy and so she's working toward that um but there is a big twist coming yeah and we'll <laughs> leave it there um and there's there's some ancillary characters that that fit in here too that are for all intents and purposes they're very good and they they, they are very good at their jobs mm -hmm. And she kind of starts to put those feelers of trust out there as well. She she knows that they work well together. She mm -hmm. feels that, that they work well together. But again, we have to keep our walls of, of security around us and make sure that we're safe first. Absolutely, yeah. Which is all very intriguing. It's, you know, for, for someone who's been, every time she turns around, she's, she's in danger even mm -hmm. picks a even picks a, a career which i find interesting where she's in danger all the time right but don't we all want to save somebody right if nobody saved us i think we want to save somebody when we get older van certainly does she wants to save as many people as she can even though it's going to put her at risk true very true but the the paradox that's there is is interesting because it's even though she's working in cold cases and she's working on cases that have been have been you know out there for quite some time she's still potentially putting herself in danger every time she does this so right. she's she's risking great harm in order to save somebody and risk great re reward mm -hmm. Yeah, I think she true for me, she truly is a hero, a deeply flawed one. Mm -hmm. um, 
like a super deeply flawed one, right? Once you get into, once you get into the things she's done, but also in my mind, she's a hero. People can argue about this, but I absolutely love her. Oh, I, I do, without a doubt, she's a hero. I, I think if you, if you read this book and try to say anything otherwise, I think you, you haven't got the meaning of it or you, yeah. you're, you're, you're looking at minor details and making the major ones. And, and you've, You've overlooked the the grand scheme of things. When and I like what you said about shades of gray, right? Because justice is not black and white. It just right. isn't most of the time. Right. Uh, let me ask you, Jess, why why the device of the BCA and to a, to a point the Minneapolis Police Department? Why why bring them into the taken ones? So when I wrote the short, when I was asked to write the short story. Catch, it's called Catcher in a Lie, um, and it features Van. My publisher asked me if I would if I would set it first of all in a in a this the the anthology it was in was about vacationing because it was at the height of COVID and everybody was locked down, and it and it was like people want to travel somewhere. So I decided to set it in Costa Rica, and she asked, "Can it be a police p- procedural?" And I know nothing about police procedurals. I write mostly thrillers and domestic suspense, but I do know, I knew a little bit about the BCA and that we have one in Minnesota Mm -hmm. and it only has about 300 employees. So I'm like, I'll just use the BCA as long as one of those 300 folks doesn't read it. I can make everything up. (laughs) Right. And they won't know any better. But then they asked me to turn it into a whole series. And so then I had to really start digging into the BCA, which I remain fascinated by. It's it's unique to Minnesota. It started in the 20s when the when the state legislature could not deal with the Chicagoland mobsters coming over. So they're like, we'll create the BCA. Um, they have no jurisdiction of their own, like vampires. They have to be invited in. Yep. They've got this amazing forensics department, one of the best in the nations. They've got a cold case department. They do a lot of good work. And so it turns out I chose well, even though I did it for all the wrong reasons. I did it to get out of my homework, essentially. There you go. Well, (laughs) and and it's turned into a wonderful book. I I mean, absolutely. And what could be a, a wonderful series of books. And and I hope so. Yeah, I just turned in the second one, which is um, inspired by, I found out doing interviews for the Corey Girls. I found out that in Minnesota we have a nursing home for serial killers in Faribault. What? That was my face. That was my re- response, and I'm I'm like, no way. And so I did some research, and it's at this big old. It it's there in Faribault. There's this old. It used to be an institution, right? And now it's been sort of back built into this prison, and then they have this area where high risk but immobile offenders still are and i am just it gave me chills and so that's what the second book focuses on a fictionalized version of it there are so many questions there i know right (laughs) what okay so just the concept it's brilliant i it's i love it yeah. Oh, 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 my mind's blown right now, Jess. So <laughs> we need a restart. We need a hard restart, right? Okay, so they they have they have this home for for serial killers. Is it is it what kind of security is there? Is it it's not maximum security, obviously, right? I think it's medium security. There's okay. not a lot of data 
on the, on it, right? They're very low key about it. I only know because this woman who interviewed me, her father-in-law worked with some of the inmates there. Um, you can't find out a lot about it. Really? But once you, once you start digging into it, just the fact that they turned this old institution into a prison, I found a Star Tribune article from like 15 years ago talking about how they had all the inmates in the basement, which wasn't set up as a prison. And so it was just like, flickering lights and like poorly locked doors. It was so uh, terrifying and intriguing. Wow. I know. I know. I love the research. So, okay. They're immobile. So they, obviously there's no, there's no, I hate to put it this way, Jess, but it's kind of funny when you think about it, there's no senior home violence going on or, or gangs roaming around the senior home or anything like that. Right. But there is potential for it because they are some of the most violent offenders. And so you, I would think you never want to turn your back on them. But I don't know. And if you're an, if you're a nurse, that's got to be the worst assignment you'd ever pull. Right. Yeah. Or or maybe I don't know. Or the most interesting I don't know. I just like to write about it from a safe distance. I do want to go to that. Um, I have an event in Faribault in November, and I do mm -hmm. want to get as close as I can to that. If you look up this this institution, it looks like just straight out of a gothic novel. Really? I want to get as close to it as I can. Yeah. I got to think. Now, I've, I've heard from many different authors before that all it takes is if you keep appealing to the institution They'll give you a pass to come in. Oh, no. I just got chills up and down my arm. That would be something. And if you're doing research for a book, especially if you're writing specifically about that particular institution, they have to let you come in. Right. But it, it reminds me of the time that I wrote about a murder on a train and I asked Amtrak if I could use Amtrak. Mm -hmm. And they sent me, I still have the letter. They sent me in the mail a letter that said, we do not condone murders on our train fictional or otherwise <laughs> well, <you laughs> and I'm like, all right i mean a fair that almost deserves a rebuttal i'm not going to murder anybody on your train i'm i'm just saying it's a fictional book right right <laughs> amtrak you lost your chance that's right mm -hmm. um but jess i gotta think that they'll let you in yeah, but oh, now I'm scared because what if they do let me in? I bet it's a scary place. No, but you're coming in with a guard. It's not like they're just going to turn you loose in that deal and just say, go <laughs> interview keys, whoever Jess. you want. We'll see you in an hour. <laughs> yeah, right. Here's the keys to the place. Lock up behind you. Right, right. Um, yeah, just turn the lights out. <laughs> yeah, make, make sure you turn the lights out before you leave. Yeah. Um, you know, say hi to whoever when you're in there. Um <laughs> If I do it, I will let you know. If Please I go, do. I'll let you know. Oh my god! Send an email. Yeah. <laughs> if you live, no. If I live to write about him, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that would wow! That would be yeah. something. Be something. Whoa! And then if they let you ghost hunt on top of it, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome, wouldn't it? That actually would be awesome. That place has got to have some ghosts. I'm telling you. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm geeking out right now. Um, yeah. That would be, wow. Um, but yeah, if, I would think if you would write the administration and tell them, hey, I'm, I'm, you know, 
this is the subject of my next book. Do you know who I am? Throw out the do you know who I am line first of oh, yeah. all. Yeah. That's super charming when people. Yeah. Everybody people responds do that. to that. Do you know who I am? Uh, yeah. They'll just bend right over and throw yeah. you the keys. Um, you know, but no, uh, but yeah, I would think that uh, I would think they'd let you come in and, you know, take the tour, maybe even uh, give one of the serial killers their shots. Sure. Oh, Why not? <laughs> I did. I placed it up. Uh, I placed this building and the institution and its history up by Duluth. Mm -hmm. So it's out of it's out of the way. But it's the whole it's the whole building. You have to look it up after this interview. When you see a picture of the old building, it's just terrifying. I'm going to. That, that is. Wow. OK. Mine's officially blown. Awesome. My work here is done. Your work here is done. <laughs> Holy cow. Um. All right. Uh, so, yes. And, and the book, by the way, The Taken Once, folks, I got to encourage you again, once again, to go out, get that book. Um, it's mind blowing in itself. It, and again, lots of good stuff there. Um, I don't know how much we've I, I, I don't think we can reveal too much more about the book, Jess. I think we've we've done a, a good job. I, the, we can we can tell people that the in the beginning of the book. There are three girls that go out into the woods in Leech Lake, correct? Yes, and only one comes back. Only one comes back. And she comes back with severe burns on her feet. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And no memory of what happened in the woods. No memory of what happened in the woods. And we kind of, we, we go at 100 miles an hour from there. Yeah, yes, exactly that. Yeah. And it's a hard it's a hard book to talk about because there are so many twists in it. Yes. It's hard it's hard to talk about it without spoilers. That's right. And and there's a reason we're being kind of cryptic here, folks. And and that I, I'm trying to be as spoiler free as possible, but it, it uh, again there it's 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 so exciting to, to once you start reading the book and, and when you get into the book, you meet Van from there, Van takes the you know, takes wants the case more than anything. Goes yeah, in there and yeah. lobbies for that case and then runs into a little bit of resistance from a Minneapolis police department officer who's, who's got the active case. She wants the cold case. Mm -hmm. There's actually two parts to this case mm -hmm. and runs into friction from an active Minneapolis police department officer who has the active case and bumps heads with him the entire time. Right, because they have a history. So they were both on the Minneapolis police force together. And so now that he has the active case, which they believe is connected to the cold case, which she wants, as you say, yeah. she's got to bump heads with him. That's right. So lots of moving parts in this book, folks. Yeah. A <laughs> yeah. lot of moving parts. And it again, uh, an amazing book. And you're gonna you're gonna enjoy it. You're gonna have a great time with it. The Taken Ones, a Reed and Steinbeck thriller. It's out there. Jess Lurie is the author and Jess, I'm telling you, I can't wait for this new one to come out. Oh, God. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me too. It's been, that went so quickly. It's been a blast to talk to you. It's been, it's the pleasure's all mine. And, and would you come back for the next I one? I would love to. Absolutely. We'll talk more nursing homes for serial killers, nursing homes for serial killers. I can't wait. <laughs> Boy, I'm telling you, you may not be able to stop me. I may follow you over there. When you yeah, get, when you we get could. The tour. We could do a field trip together. I would It'd be less that. scary if I wasn't alone, I think. I'll go with you. Okay. I'll, okay. I'll go with you. I'll take, you know what? If they, lur if they lurch at you, I'll take the knife. I'll just say. 
You'll take the shiv. I'll take the shiv. Take yeah. The, the old man I, shiv. Okay. The old man shiv. It can't hurt that much. They're old, right? Right. It takes forever. You see it coming. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Yeah. It's probably like a, you know, and probably wouldn't even barely pierce the skin. It'd be like getting a sliver. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So okay, you can take it. I, I do that for you. Yeah. Thank so we'll you. Do uh, that's just Lurie, folks. The Taken Ones again, a Reed and Steinbeck thriller, is out and available right now. We have a link in the description of this program. Get the book today. I guarantee you, you're going to love the book. Uh, I did. So go ahead and get it right now. Folks, it's time now for us to lighten things up a bit. Like it wasn't already light already, but we're going to lighten things up a bit. We're going to join Beer City Bruiser now. It's time now for Dumb Crimes and Stupid Crimes. It's, it's Crayon News Story Time. What happened with this dude, Christbearer? I heard he uh, cut his penis off and then jumped off a balcony. Suspect pulls gun from butt, shoots twice at Denver police. What is your emergency? Uh, And what's the problem? I'm too high. You're too high? Yeah. It's that time again, the time you've all been looking forward to. It's time to lighten things up. And it's time for Dumb Crimes and Stupid Criminals. For that, we need a co-host. We bring in the co-host with the most, the BCB, the big cuddly bear himself, Beer City Bruiser. Bruiser, how are you? I'm feeling pretty big. Feeling pretty big? Are you? pretty big. Good God. Say, you know the, the true crime nation listening to us. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the Vikings had me rattled, man. I'm not going to lie. I, um, I, I, I yelled, I, I screamed, I threw things. I, uh, yeah. Yeah, because uh, for here for us, it was the the Packer game was was on. Yeah, yeah. And then the Packer game ended the way it did, and they're like, "Well, we're gonna take you to Minnesota Chargers." And I was like, "Oh, cool! I can see what's going on." And I saw the score. I'm like, "Okay," because <laughs> I, I didn't watch the game at all. You know what I mean? I just got that last yeah, yeah. 24 seconds. Uh huh. Yeah. And I'm like, "All right." I go, "Let's see how Cousins screw this up." And Ashley's like, "Well," oh. <laughs> Mrs. Bush is like, "You don't know. You, you never no, know." I no, go, he You're is. Right. He I is. don't know. No, I don't know. I right. Yeah. And then the penalties happen and all that. I'm like, okay. And then he throws that pass. And she's like, look, they're going to score. I'm like, why are they taking their time to the line? Why mm-hmm. aren't they stopping? Mm-hmm. Why aren't they clocking the ball? Like, mm-hmm. Spike the ball. I'm like, mm-hmm. what is he doing? And mm-hmm. he throws the. I'm like, who is he throwing? Throw it into <laughs> triple, yeah, coverage. triple coverage. Yeah, yeah. He had one-on-one on the side, on the, on the right side with two different receivers. And, My and, favorite line yeah. of that whole thing is they after the game ends, they go to the to the Fox guys. Yes. And Jimmy Johnson goes, What was he thinking? <laughs> he just for the next forty five seconds lambashes Kirk Cousins. <laughs> I love how Terry Bradshaw how he, he put it so perfectly. He said, I don't know what he's doing. The coaches are in your <laughs> ear the entire time. You don't have to make the decision. Yeah. The, the coaches are the ones screaming in your ear to clock the ball. Yeah. <laughs> you don't even have to think about it. But then after the game, old Kirko fumbles himself, goes and blames the crowd <laughs> and says, and, and I put it up in our chat room because yeah, I saw God that. loved were, the chat were... room. They, they didn't believe that old Kirko fumbles himself would blame his own crowd <laughs> for not being able to hear his coach that he couldn't think for himself. Hey, I have 24 seconds. I have four full downs. Maybe I should spike the ball and stop the clock and yeah. actually set up a proper, you know, get the crowd to and, settle. And down. they got the first down on a fourth down and long. Right. It's like, OK, complete the pass, spike the ball. Right. It, as elementary as you can be. Yep. Right. The, the simplest thing you can do, 
right? But this guy can't handle pressure. He can't handle pressure from linemen. He can't handle pressure in a game. He can't handle any pressure situation. I want to know what was JJ's reaction, Justin Jefferson, because he literally went out for a play with cramps. Yes. And you saw him come back in because he looked at the clock. Yeah. And you could tell he was still in pain. Yep. But he was like, no, this is this is go time. This is what makes you a star. That's and he, right. he is a star. Yep. And you saw him come in. And, and, and Hodgkinson, too, who got a little rattled, he's back in the game. He's like, nope, yep. I got rattled. You know what I mean? Because that yep. was a very nice legal hit. He went down, off for a play, came back in. I'm like, all right, you know, and and I'm thinking, this is great. These guys want to play. Yep. This is this is what football is all about. That's and then right. you had good old dumb Kirk. <laughs> yeah, and I think even Hawkinson was surprised that that ball came to him. I'm surprised. That he, I think they're all surprised that he didn't, you know, call a timeout. <laughs> or right. Spiked, or I'm sorry, he didn't spike the ball. Like, right. Right. Spike the ball. You have three more downs. Yeah. To go five yards. Yeah. I've never, I shouldn't say I've never, I, I always see things like this when it comes to Cousins. <laughs> I think they were all surprised that he was trying to call a play at the line. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I think there was mass confusion and they, they were just like, what are we doing here? And, and, it, it, and what it, I loved is we went from, I went from the Packers game where they came back from 17 to win in the fourth quarter and, and Jordan Love showed that he can be a field general, mm-hmm. controlled the clock well, made smart decisions with his passing. And he's a third-year quarterback. Then it switches over to the Vikings game. We have Kirk Cousins who's, what, like a 10-year? 12 years. 12, year 12 years. Making mistakes that the Jordan Love should have been making. Right. <laughs> and this is what Minnesota fans do not get. They, You know, the dumb ones get behind them and they point at stats. Stats have never won a ball game. Yeah. Ask Russell Wilson. I was going to say, because the Dolphins destroyed them 70 to 20, but on the stat sheet, Russell Wilson had a better game than, than Tua. Well, almost. He was six yards shy of Tua's mark. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He was six yards behind Tua's mark, Yeah, but he had an excellent ball game. Russell yeah. Wilson on paper was a, was a great quarterback on Sunday, yep. but they lost by 50. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought it was a glitch. We were going over everything with Ziggy's picks, and, and we were getting all the winners and losers. I was like, Mrs. Bruiser goes, what about the Dolphins game? I said, oh, it's 70 to 20, but I think that's a glitch in Google. Hold on. And then we we're uh, it was halftime at the Panthers game, and they came up, and I'm like, uh, maybe it's not a glitch because they're showing highlights. Right. Tyreek <laughs> Hill basically making Denver his bench. <laughs> that's right. Stats have never won you shit. And it no. won't win you shit. I know. I know this is for tomorrow. This is a tomorrow's discussion. But I'm just saying. I was so. I've started out today's show. I'm so rattled. I'm still trying to <laughs> settle down. I, I just. I. I don't know how I got through today's interview with Jess Laurie. <laughs> I, I, I just don't know because we're both Minnesotans. And and oh, no. uh, so you both were rattled. We're huh? both rattled. Yeah. But uh, it's just. Uh, well, at least we got some some stupid criminals to uh, take right. your mind off the stupid quarterback you have up there. That is probably a stupid criminal also because he's stealing money from the Vikings organization. Uh, he's, he's stolen, what, $300, 400000000 now? <laughs> it, for nothing. It, it's a good thing this contract is over at the end of the year. Yeah. That's all I got to say. It, it, you know what? October 31st is the trade deadline, and I told you this morning. 
that they ought to go, if San Francisco has such a hard on for this guy, they ought to go over right now and go see if they can trade straight up for, uh, for Purdy. Purdy. Yeah, for Brock Purdy. Yeah, Purdy's not going anywhere. He's doing too well. You would think, but you know what? Shanahan's got a huge hard on for for. Oh, I know, I know, I know, I know. But and I, it, I don't think I'd powers be, that be will allow that. I don't know. I would think if Shanahan lobbied hard enough, he would make. He did that get trip. McCaffrey. He was hard for McCaffrey, and, That's and it was right. a smart decision because McCaffrey is number one back in the league right now. That's right, and you know what? Brock Purdy in a Minnesota uniform would look mighty good right now. <laughs> you can hope. <laughs> I'm just saying. Just we, saying. we can talk baseball because my Brewers are one game away from clinching the division. Hey, and the Twins clinched this past week. I was going to say. You know what? It isn't going to help them. They haven't won a playoff game since 2004. <laughs> I was going to say, same with us, but hey. I laughed. I laughed out loud when Joe Polad said, this isn't going to be the last champagne celebration we have this season. Really? Because <laughs> history says since 2004, we haven't had a second. <laughs> And the Star Trib is firing up the old Homer Hankey machine. So Homer Hankies are coming back there, Bruiser. Okay. All right. But uh, prepare to have your hearts broken, Minnesota. We're going to be hosting uh, the the wild card round here in in, uh, on, in October, early October. Uh, and chances are we're going to get, uh, is it Seattle? Maybe Seattle? I know Brewers already clinched wild card. It's them and the Marlins, Miami. And it takes place. They finish with St. Louis this week, and then it begins. I want to say Thursday. I know we're at, gonna, at Amfam Field. I know home. we're we're going to get a team that we weren't very successful against. It's either going to be them or the Rangers. If we get the Rangers, we're done. Oh really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Can't handle them. We destroyed them. I hate their uniforms too. Oh, their their uniforms are horrible. But we just weren't a good match against the Rangers. So that it, happens. Yeah. So I. I I really don't, and our pitching has fallen apart. We had some good pitching <laughs> in the beginning of the year, but it just our pitching has fallen apart. Our bats, yeah, mediocre. So Kirk Cousins in a Twins uniform, how about that? That oh, make yeah. you happy? <laughs> so we can choke. So we can choke throughout the entire series. <laughs> you know, the Wilfs, if they're smart, they'll take and they'll put Cousins in therapy because he has a he really does have a an issue with with. Uh, Fear of success. Yeah. He yeah. has a distinct fear of success. And and he needs... He likes being mediocre. It's safe. I, yeah. I don't know if people realize that or not, but he, he feels safe just being mid. Yeah. He's no Patrick Mahomes. No. He's okay when he's, he's successful enough to, you know, make mid-quarterback money. Yep. You know, he's good being mid of the pack, middle of the pack. He's good just existing in the NFL and having a starting job. Yep. He's good having good numbers and looking good, but he's not great. Nope. And he'll never be great. Nope. He'll he'll be an analyst after his career is done and people will be like, okay, Kirk. You were a quarterback. <laughs> yeah. He's <laughs> kind of like a, a Phil Sims or a boomer. He's Matt Ryan. He, he's a Vinny Testaverde. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know why we chased him for so long. Well, you know, he's a, nice, he's a nice guy. The only other. <laughs> and Minnesota's a nice state. <laughs> you guys are all nice up there. You're real close to Canada. <laughs> I guess. You know, the only, only other team that wanted him was the New York Jets. What does that tell you? I know. 
Rodgers played three downs. <laughs> <laughs> but he's coming back, Bruiser. Yeah. He's going to have that, that uh, surgery. He had, that's gonna... he had it. He's, he's right. covering in California right now, and they said he's going to come back in a, in a uh, like a coaching-type role. Which well, is no, great. He, he, claims, he claims he's going to play this year. Yeah, he says by he's gonna if they make playoffs he'll be ready because he had that that weird surgery he didn't have the normal surgery which yeah. is great good good for you yeah he's uh, you yeah. guys aren't making the playoffs yeah he's he's he, yeah they're gonna make it on the back of Dalvin Cook yeah they're, <laughs> who's who's always injured yeah him and the rookie are always injured mm-hmm mm-hmm like they're off their defense is awesome number one defense I think second eh, maybe number two yeah. yeah Dallas of course is number one but. We saw what happens when they get cocky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You get beat by the Cardinals. Yeah. All right. I, I know football talk for for Wednesday. It's it's uh yeah. But okay. So <clears throat> dumb crime, stupid criminals. We're going to start this off with. Uh, I got to thank. I don't know what his name is because he didn't put it on the email. A Wiltfong, uh, who sent in a lot of dumb crime, stupid criminals stories this oh, week. Yeah. Cool. Uh, one of them actually has to do with Ed Gein. Ooh, see, I'm, I'm an Ed Gee fan. Yeah. And uh, uh, Mrs. Bruzy can't mention Ed Gein around him because that's how she found out she was sensitive. Really? It was the Ed Gein room at the Zach Baggins at, Museum. At the Zach, ba- Zach Baggins uh, Museum. Uh, well, there's actually an unearthed recording that has Ed Gein's voice in it. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's and, rare. And according to this, he sounds like Barney Fife with a chainsaw. <laughs> Oh, yeah. He was not an educated man. No. Um, Authorities weren't prepared for the house of horrors that awaited when they, of course, began to investigate Wisconsin farmer Ed Gein. It was 1957, and the awkward bachelor's filthy farmhouse held a skin-crawling collection that came out of their worst nightmares. They uncovered lamps, mugs, chairs, and soup bowls made of human flesh and skulls, a heart and a frying pan, human face masks, a suit made of body parts, as well as jars filled with organs. Sounds like a nice guy. And his nipple belt. Can't forget his nipple yeah, belt. Yeah, you can't forget the nipple belt. That that was an, an unusual one at that. Some officers rushed outside, gasped for air, and became violently ill after walking inside the dark, dingy property that had no electricity and reeked of death. Inside was a headless body hung up like a deer that had been hunted. It was missing woman Bernice Orden. That poor woman. Uh, the case that continues to shock the nation over 60 years later is now the subject of a four-part docu- docu-series on MGM+, Plus, which is called Psycho, The Lost Tapes of Ed Gein. It features never-before-heard recordings of one of the most notorious killers in history. The series also features new interviews with true crime scholars and experts, as well as some of the last living locals who encountered Gein before he died in 1984 at age 77. I had no idea these tapes existed. Harold Schechter, uh, author of Deviant, who listened to the recordings in the docuseries, told Fox News Digital. I have always imagined Ed Gein's voice sounding as one way, but it totally was different. And it brings you so much closer to the reality of the case, he explained. It was quite eye-opening. I think Gein has become such a mythical character that hearing his actual human voice was relevatory in certain ways. I always think of him as Barney Fife of the Chainsaw, this seemingly harmless guy, a bit of a laughingstock, he said. Someone you wouldn't think of digging up corpses, bringing them back to his farmhouse, dismembering them and turning them into furniture. 
Dean's crimes have inspired numerous horror films, including Psycho, Silence of the Lambs, and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But real life was far more terrifying than fiction. And it all goes back to Mother. Yep. Is what it says here. Oh, yeah. She ruined him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although, according to the docuseries, Gein was raised by Augusta Gein, who was a domineering puritanical matriarch who preached that sex was evil. His father, George Philip Gein, was an alcoholic who died in 1940. Gein's brother, Henry, passed away in 1944 at age 43 from asphyxiation following a mysterious fire. Uh, that's not completely accurate. No. He also had a gunshot wound in his back. Oh. But they always leave that part out because the, the actual autopsy report was asphyxiation. Okay. But the rumor is that Ed killed him. Ed had set the fire. Oh. And when his brother went to go to the fire, Ed shot him in the back. And everybody thought, oh, Ed can't, is impossible doing that because he's a nice guy. He's mentally challenged. He's whatever. So the medical examiner put asphyxiation. So now. If you go back at any records, it also says asphyxiation. But if you look at the actual autopsy, there's a gunshot wound in his back. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's it's tit for tat. So <laughs> You said tit and there was a nipple belt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just had to, sorry. Uh, Gein's obsessive devotion to his mother couldn't save her. She died in 1945 at age 67 from a stroke, leaving Gein alone in their farmhouse. Her room always remained untouched as both the rest of the property and his mental health deteriorated. We know from Gein's confessions that his mother was a fanatically religious woman who regarded the modern world as sinful, decadent Sodom and Gomorrah, Schechter explained. She instilled in him this deep fear of women or of uh, sexuality. Uh, she kept him very tightly bound to her. He was enslaved to his mother, and she made all these efforts to not only keep him tied to her apron strings, but to keep him infantilized. Uh, even as a grown man, Gein appeared as this little boy who worshipped this powerful goddess that was his mother, Schechter continued. Gein lived alone for many years with his mother in this very isolated place that was cut off from other meaningful human contact. His mother just became the center of his emotional and at some level sexual life. Now, I'm not implying that they had sex, but his sexuality was channeled into this slavish relationship with his mother. Schechter suspected that Gein attempted to dig up his mother's corpse shortly after her burial, but wasn't successful. After that, he began digging up other women, he said. Their graves were kind of located in a circle around Augusta's. Investigators later found the remains of 10 women in Gein's home. It has long been speculated that the body count in the proper and the properly, property probably uh, was much higher. Gein admitted to uh, killing two women, including Worden, the New York Times reported. According to the outlet, Gein told authorities he killed them because they resembled his mother. The other victim, Mary Hogan, was a tavern operator. Schechter said he wouldn't classify Gein as a serial killer. He said, I think he murdered these women because he ran out of corpses of local women who vaguely reminded him of his mother, he said. Unlike people like Ted Bundy and Edmund Kemper, uh, he didn't torture his victims. He executed them swiftly. He essentially was a necrophiliac. He was in love with dead bodies. He turned them into relics. He got some gratification from being surrounded by the dead. Schechter said he wondered if Gein was taking some horrible revenge on his late mother. For all the things inflicted on him, he would always proclaim that he had nothing but love and worship for his mother, he said. Uh, but it seemed to be a classic case of protesting too much. The docuseries 
revealed that despite Gein being known as the town oddball, no one suspected him of being a killer or a grave robber. He supported himself as a maintenance perser, person rather, and occasional babysitter. Uh, they were, there were certainly rumors floating around from some neighborhood kids I interviewed, said Schechter, but this wasn't the kind of thing people would naturally suspect, and he was seen as very simple-minded. His criminal activities were so beyond the pale that no one would possibly suspect what was going on. Even now, decades later, there was nothing comparable to what he was doing in the history of American crimes. It was word and son Frank, a deputy sheriff, who became suspicious of the recluse following his mother's disappearance. A trail of blood was discovered in the matriarch's shop at the time she went missing. According to reports, Frank's concerns led to investigators apprehending Gein. Authorities attempted to connect Gein with other recent disappearances, but were unsuccessful. After Gein was arrested, recordings were made of him being questioned by investigators. According to the New York Post, the tapes were placed in the safe deposit box of a judge. His family uncovered the recordings in 2019, years after he passed. Gein was diagnosed with schizophrenia and declared mentally incompetent. He spent the rest of his life in mental institutions, uh, where he was described as a mild-mannered, unassuming model patient. Schechter said based on his research, Gein never expressed remorse for his crimes. Schechter said hearing Gein's voice today was haunting, but it shows listeners that his story was far more horrifying than any Hollywood tale. Many of the people who analyze Gein aren't around anymore, he said. The filmmakers dug up a lot of new material, and scholars interested in the case are certainly going to want to study this. It's like finding a new letter by Jack the Ripper. Nice. Yeah. I heard, because Ed Gein obviously is, is near and dear to my heart. He's a Wisconsin killer. But I heard a, a I want to say it was a psychologist that said, if you think about it, in the 50s, you didn't have transgender, you didn't have cross-dressing, you know, bisexual, homosexual, all that. It was all, it, and I think it was the 1960s when they said like homosexuality was a mental illness. So we're years before that. Mm-hmm. But he said, if you take a look at Ed Gein, he was a classic trans person trapped in a body he didn't feel comfortable in, fueled by his mother saying, this is evil and this is evil and this is evil. And that's why he would dig up the bodies and he made the female suit because then he could feel comfortable. Oh, and it, okay. it's it's just amazing how far it's come since then. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's really cool that they're digging stuff up about him to to go back because he he could be a center point of a lot of these investigations and these you know killers and murders and why they're doing it. Yeah. You know, and why it's so important to a talk mental health with everybody and b if someone's struggling with their identity or their sexuality, reach out and talk to somebody. Right. You know, right. Cause otherwise this could happen. Yeah. But everyone's got to keep in mind. He was, he was not bright man. He was a slow, you know, if you look at the pictures, he had the droopy eye. He, he uh, was abused as a child. Like he, he was a very slow mental person. Right. And he was tortured at that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it was the perfect storm to create a killer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, is is essentially what it was. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to our next story. A drug dealer calls cops to report a theft. <laughs> well, good for him. I like when we have law-abiding drug dealers on this program. Well, you, you know, know like, like the one that brought their meth in to make sure it was good meth. Yeah, you well, know? you know, sometimes yeah. you have to test your meth and make sure it's pure. Other times, when you're a drug dealer, you have to call in to report a theft. 
yep, you, people steal things. It's not right. So. That's right. <laughs> uh, when working in the field of illegal drug sales, it is never a good idea to contact police to complain that a customer robbed you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't do that. Of course, we're going to Florida. Oh, of course. <laughs> uh, cops say that 33-year-old Eric Thomas called police in reference to a theft on Friday in Largo, which is a city in the Tampa Bay, Florida area. Upon being contacted by officers, Thomas stated that he was selling marijuana and someone stole $10 from him while attempting to sell it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, while reporting the theft, Thomas had 11 baggies of pot in his hands. Probably not a good idea either. In the free state of Florida, it remains illegal to possess marijuana with the intent to sell it. Hey, you might want to hide that when the cops come. Yeah, that, that's probably not a good idea. Uh, <laughs> Thomas made spontaneous statements about getting robbed while selling the marijuana, reported Officer Ricardo Morales, who <laughs> noted that Thomas was holding more than 40 grams of pot while collared. Who knew that drug dealers and, and the dealings of drugs, something bad could go happen? Who knew? Yeah, you'd never think. Most people are pretty honest when it comes to... Uh, drug dealers and drug users are very honest. Yeah, and, and so are their <laughs> customers, you know? Exactly. I mean, they just want an honest day's exchange when it comes to getting their pot. Just slip, slip them 10 bucks. Yeah. Uh, during a post arrest search of thomas cops reportedly found two baggies containing cocaine in his wallet so there was oh. more so he's going okay so he's got the the value menu with your your weed mm -hmm. and then he's got the uh the extracurricular you know yeah, party oh yeah. party package yeah in case you want to you know come up after you get down i hope it's more than 10 bucks well, I would think so. Otherwise, he's not a good drug dealer. <laughs> right, right. Uh, Thomas was charged with a pair of drug felonies and booked into the county jail where he remains locked up in lieu of how much bond, Bruiser? Uh, $500. A little higher. $1,000. You said $1,000? $1,000. No, $1,000. No, not $1,000. How much? Uh, yeah, $1,000. $1,000? No, no, no. Uh, one more time. 1500 1500 is still too low, my friend. $7,000. Oh, okay. Yeah, $7,000 bond. If I was the judge, I'd be a dick where I'd make his bond $7,010. <laughs> Charge him with the amount he was robbed of. Yeah. Just to be that dick. Yep. Just a little extra on the end. Uh, that's what she said. Uh, in the past year, Thomas has been convicted of marijuana, cocaine, and battery counts. In a pending case, Thomas has been accused of possessing seven Ziploc baggies of marijuana. He loves the Ziploc. You got to get the you got to get the uh, endorsement in there. You know. The funny thing is, this dude's already been arrested, and he thought, you know what, this guy took ten bucks from me. I'm going to call the cops. There's no way they're going to look at me for anything. <laughs> yeah, they'll they'll <laughs> overlook what I'm doing to get my ten yeah. bucks back because yeah. You know, that was that was 10 bucks. Uh, the pot was discovered when Th Thomas emptied his pockets into a clear plastic tray at a court security checkpoint. He brought it with him to court. <laughs> uh, so we don't like promote dealing drugs. No, we never have. No. But if you decide you need to deal drugs, if you're going into a law enforcement agency or a court, leave the drugs in the car. Mm hmm. <laughs> if you uber leave them at home at the very least leave them at home or leave yeah. them leave them with a friend 
Exactly. Not the friend that took your 10 bucks. No, no, no. Another friend. friend. Uh, Thomas, who reportedly admitted the pot was meant for sale, was at the Pinellas County Justice Center last (laughs) month to see the clerk of courts. God, this guy is not bright at all. Well, I'm here. I might as well report the theft, right? This guy, to be honest with you, he kind of looks like Dalvin Cook. (laughs) What's wrong with his eyes? I don't know. He's got that. He's got his left eye is way higher than his right eye. It looks like his the right side of his face is melting. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? He looks like a Picasso painting. He does. Yeah. <laughs> he looks like a, that's a Delvin Cook Picasso. That's a Delvin Cook Picasso. <laughs> yeah. And you know how much that's worth? How much? Ten bucks? Ten bucks. Ten yeah, bucks. Ten bucks. <laughs> ten bucks. We move on, Bruiser, where a former USPS worker, that's United States Postal Service to you and I, has been charged with a cu- and stands accused of stealing nearly $1.7 million in checks from the mail. Ooh. You know, normally you're afraid someone's going to just take your check from your mailbox. I don't know yeah. who's still getting checks by mail, but it, it happens. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's true. There are some crooked postal workers out there. <laughs> you think? And they're taking your checks out of the mail. Uh, a former U.S. Postal Service worker has been charged with stealing checks from the mail, which is a scheme that netted him nearly $1.7 million over the course of 18 months, Bruiser. Wow, that's good money. That is good money, isn't it? Uh, That according to KTLA sister station WDCW, the dickwad. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I just, those are odd call letters, that's for sure. Uh, In a news release issued last week, the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office said, wow, this is a name. Bear with me here. Hachi Casella. Hachi Casella Muchimba. That's what it is. Hachi Casella Muchimba, who's 43 years old, of Washington, D.C., was charged with mail theft and bank fraud. Muchimba was accused of depositing checks from the mail into his own bank account between October 2021 in March of 2023, Machimba has been working at a D.C. branch of the USPS since 2020. He was placed on off-duty status in March, following, I hope he would be, <laughs> following the launch of a federal investigation. Uh, Muchimba's scheme involved the removal of the payee's name from the checks, after which he would instead write his own name. Many of the checks were U.S. Treasury checks. That seems like it would be hard to do, but I guess it's pretty easy. No, check washing used to be, that was like an 80s thing. 80s, early 90s was was check washing. I guess. Because there's a way, a certain way you can wash the name off to put your name on. Okay. Uh, So, But I, I haven't heard of that since the 80s or 90s. Yeah. He removed like this guy probably watched Scarface and was like, oh, I can do that. <laughs> he removed the payee's name from the checks, after which he would instead write his own name. Many of the checks were U.S. Treasury checks. And the complaint was that Muchimba was spotted on bank surveillance cameras taking the money out of ATM machines. Yeah, can't do that. Uh, the checks Muchimba deposited between October 2021 and March 2023 totaled 1697 thousand nine hundred nine dollars and fifty two cents wow yeah muchimba faces a maximum penalty of 30 years in prison for bank fraud and five years for mail fraud according to the dc district attorney's office yeah wow he went old school he went real old school yeah he did 
I'm glad that we can still catch the old school. It used to be a problem back in the 80s and 90s. Now it's cool we got that. Yeah, most definitely. But again, like who who does regular checks? Why isn't the Treasury on? Wait, they, they do electronic. I got my tax return electronically. Yeah, but there's still some people who get paper checks. Blows my mind. Actually, my old roommate does that. Yeah. He was mad when they forced him to get direct deposit. I bet. I yeah. bet. Yeah, there's still some people who insist on paper checks. All right, well, they're keeping this Mutumbo guy. Muchimba. Muchimba. That's right. Keeping him, uh, well, he was getting paid. Uh, well, he was, <laughs> now he's, yeah. He's, now he's in prison. Now, he, now he's getting paid in cigarettes. <laughs> That's right. Uh, this is the joyride section of Dumb Crime, Stupid Criminals. Oh, okay. I hope there was an article I read today, and I hope you cover it. If not, I'll just mention it later. Okay. Uh, we go back to Florida, where two Florida kids stole their mother's car after she took away their electronics, and they were pulled over 200 miles away. <laughs> <laughs> Some kids just don't take no for an answer. Oh, well, you're going to take my electronics? Fine, I'm going to take your car. That's right. Authorities in North Florida were surprised to discover a 10-year-old behind the wheel after they pulled a stolen vehicle over this week. Officers pulled over a white sedan on Interstate 75 just before 4 a.m. on Thursday in the city of, I believe it's Alachua, right? Oh, sure. According to the Alachua County Sheriff's Office, the vehicle had been reported stolen out of Northport, which is a city in southwest Florida more than 200 miles away. The report of the vehicle being stolen prompted deputies to conduct a high-risk traffic stop. <laughs> I love this already. I do too. Yeah. I hope this has the, because I think this is the one that I read where the, he gives the excuse of what he, yeah, keep going. Okay. When the vehicle was stopped, deputies saw a 10 year old boy hop out of the driver's seat and his 11 year old sister exit the car. <laughs> this, according to the sheriff's office, authorities then learned the siblings were also reported missing in Northport and the stolen vehicle belonged to their mother. It was learned that both children, this is a quote, it was learned that both children were upset with their mother because she took away their electronic devices, which is believed to have been done because they were not using them appropriately, the sheriff's office post read. <laughs> After speaking with the children, deputies determined they were not mistreated by anyone in their home. Their mother, who drove three hours to pick up the children, did not, did not want to pursue criminal charges. <laughs> <laughs> no, the wrath of mom is enough. <laughs> The children weren't jailed after the incident, with deputies explaining that since their mother did not want to pursue charges over the stolen vehicle, the only crime is a criminal traffic violation, and a juvenile will not be accepted into the Department of Juvenile Justice for misdemeanor criminal traffic. <laughs> These kids lucked out, man. Yeah, they did. I mean, Mama probably, Mama Bear probably <laughs> laid it like more than their electronics are being taken away. I guarantee that. Yeah. Um, in the old days, how bad of a whooping do you get for taking the car? Oh man, I, I remember one time I went, my brother and I snuck out and we started my uncle's El Camino because we thought an El Camino was so cool. And all we did was start it and put it in reverse. <laughs> and man, Mama Bruiser came out and I learned what heaven and hell were that day. <laughs> <laughs> you got the old hide tanned, huh? And I remember Mrs. Uh, Papa Bruiser saying, well, you guys are going to learn what a switch is. So go out in the yard. Mm-hmm. And, and pick a switch. And that was our first time, so I'm thinking, I'm going to grab the smallest branch I can, because that, that won't hurt. Oh. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> yeah, the smallest one hurts the most. Yeah. Is that one that cuts? Real... Oh, yeah. Oh. Oh. I was going to say, I didn't, I didn't try to take any cars after that. 
Yeah, I bet. Uh, we continue in the vehicle department with a shirtless man in a golf cart leading police on a chase. <laughs> hey, why not? It's a nice slow speed. I never get why the police put up with a golf cart. I I don't know either. Like, that's a, that's slower than the OJ chase. <laughs> it really is. I mean, do you do that little uh, maneuver where you get on the rear quarter panel and you drive them into a ditch? or The, the pit maneuver? I don't know if yeah. they can do that because... The reason they don't pursue a lot of motorcycles is because they can't spike strip them or pit maneuver them safely. Really? Hmm. Yeah. So I don't know if that's the same for golf carts because <laughs> golf carts have four <laughs> wheels. Yeah, they do. <laughs> but you should be able to pit maneuver a golf cart. I mean, it's dangerous because you could flip them, but. Oh, man. Flipping a golf cart's fun. <laughs> Not I've for been a in person. many of golf carts that flipped. Not for a person in it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been in it. <laughs> Yeah, I've been I've been banned from two golf courses because of that. <laughs> <laughs> we won't name them on the program, but um, a shirtless man wanted for robbery and grand theft auto led officers on a slow speed pursuit with a <laughs> with a dog in his lap. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> oh, poor doggy. Uh, from behind the wheel of a golf cart on Sunday night in the San Fernando Valley in California. According to uh, KTLA, authorities confirmed that to KTLA. The pursuit, according to the Los Angeles Police Department, started just after 9 p.m. in the 18700 block of Ventura Boulevard and ended approximately 10 miles away. He went 10 miles. He went 10 Bridget. miles in a golf cart. Wow. Yes, that's, that's impressive. I was going to say, you probably have to charge that up then. Well, yeah. After How many miles do you get with a golf cart? Probably 20 or 30? I'm assuming, yeah. And there's no way this is a freshly charged golf cart. Maybe. Uh, he got 10 miles away near the intersection of Oxnard Street and Laurel Canyon Boulevard at around 9.44 p.m. Video of the pursuit obtained by KTLA showed the shirtless suspect driving a golf cart marked with the word security on its side. <laughs> so it was a security golf cart. Yep. <laughs> Weaving through traffic, moving into lanes on the wrong side of the road. Oh, he's brave. <laughs> as several marked patrol vehicles trailed him, all while holding a medium-to-large-sized dog on his lap. I have a picture for you in a minute. I would freak out taking a golf cart into traffic. There's no protection in a golf cart. No. It's nothing but plastic. Although he does have a little plastic windshield on the front. But still, it's <laughs> <laughs> when a Corolla hits you, you're done. <laughs> yeah, you are, yeah. Uh, the footage also showed people out in the street taking photographs of the suspect <laughs> as he passed by. Uh, eventually, the shirtless and shoeless suspect, shoeless Joe out there driving the golf cart, uh, ditched the golf cart and attempted to flee police on foot while carrying the dog. Yes, he, oh. is, he still hey. had baby. That's good. He kept the dog. You know, let the dog go on its own. Yeah. He was tagged. Do, do you think the canine's like, stop, or release the canine? He's like, go away, or release my canine. That's right. <laughs> Dueling canines. Uh, he was tackled in the parking lot of a nearby business and taken into custody. Uh, the man was heard shouting at cameras as he was placed in the back of a patrol vehicle, don't drink, don't do drugs, be a better person. <laughs> <laughs> he needs to take his own advice. <laughs> That's right. 
Uh, it is unclear if the man stole the golf cart, and if so, where he took it from. It is also unknown if alcohol and drugs were a factor in the incident. I'm pretty sure they were. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Officers placed the dog into the back of the police car, where it was likely taken to a nearby city-operated animal shelter. The dog is innocent and not facing any charges, in case you were curious. Yeah, he was just there. That's right. Here's a picture, Bruiser, of the man and dog in question in the incident. <laughs> he looks like he's concentrating so hard. The dog's just like, this is cool, man. Let's just go. Yeah, let's just great. go. Let's drive until we can't drive anymore. <laughs> I, if I was him, I'd turn on the light on top. Because he's right. got that yellow light it's a security golf cart. Which one is Thelma and which one's Louise? <laughs> That's what I want to know. It's a beautiful story until it all ended horribly. Uh, we continue on with another drunk man. This one is arrested after shooting at non-existent home intruders. Oh, okay. Was that the, was that the last of the driving ones? That's the last of the, the driving one, yeah. The story I read was a 10-year-old took his mother's car and was pulled over, like I think it was like 50 miles away. And when he got out, he put his hands up. He claimed he was a dwarf who forgot his license at home. <laughs> So when they ran the kid's name and nothing came back, uh, <laughs> they figured funny. out he was 10. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, no doubt. When I read that, I said, kudos to that. I'd let that kid go because he at least came up with a great story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would too. Yeah. You're free to go, kid. Uh, <laughs> well, this drunk man is arrested after shooting at non-existent home intruders. A man was arrested for discharging his weapon negligently after an early morning shooting in Simi Valley. According to a release from the Simi Valley Police Department, officers responded to a suspicious incident regarding a subject that rang a resident's doorbell and then hid in nearby bushes <laughs> just before 6.30 a.m. on Sunday morning. How would you like to be woken up to that? Oh, I'd be pissed. <laughs> the first responding officer arrived on scene and found the man identified as 63-year-old Gary Laskowski of Simi Valley crawling out from under bushes with a firearm in his hand. He was Why is he drunk at six in the morning. <laughs> like I like to drink, but come on. It was a long Saturday night. <laughs> He's still in Saturday night, isn't he? Yes, he is. <laughs> Uh, he was detained without incident. The investigation revealed that the subject was under the influence of alcohol and thought intruders were in his residence. Uh, Simi Valley Police Department said officers located evidence of multiple rounds fired within the subject's residence and garage from his own firearm. Well, I get I get you're doing that, but why did he have to go ding dong ditch his neighbor? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Like, hey, I want to check and make sure my neighbor doesn't have any intruders. Ding dog. Oh, they're home. I got to hide. <laughs> Additionally, officers found an additional bullet hole in the driver's side door of a nearby parked vehicle that belonged to one of Laskowski's neighbors and another bullet hole in the neighbor's garage. Officers determined there were no intruders in the residence, and the subject negligently fired multiple rounds from his own weapons, authorities said. Laskowski was booked into the Ventura County Main Jail for gross negligence discharge of a firearm. Jeez. <laughs> I got him! <laughs> they were right Better make there sure my neighbor's safe. Oh, wait! <laughs> Speaking of people negligently attacking for no reason. Okay. We go to Florida. Of course. 
where people just like to negligently attack. We're in our negligently attacking phase of the program. <laughs> okay. The headline is, she effing attacked us. A woman allegedly got pissed at two people stretching by a pool and assaulted them. Oh, yeah, you don't stretch by a pool. <laughs> Who stretches out before they swim, by the way? I, uh, swimmers? Swimmers <laughs> do. swimmers, yeah. Yeah, professional swimmers. But this is going to sound kind of hinky as I read the story. So <laughs> Hinky or kinky? Hinky. Okay, hinky. I think yeah. it's kinky. I'm like, whoa. No, not kind kinky. Of stretching where they do it. Well, it may be kinky because I don't think they were really stretching. Let me read and, I'll, and you'll figure out what I'm talking about. Okay, okay. A Florida woman is accused of attacking two people after seeing them do stretches by a pool. I think this was just the excuse given. Deputies in Sumter County noted that 41-year-old defendant Amanda Ferragamo had some sort of link to the male victim, though they redacted this from the arrest affidavit, except to say this made the incident domestic in nature. She effing attacked us, the man told deputies in documents. She's pissed. This happened Sunday in the town of Lady Lake, which runs along U.S. Route 441 between the cities of Gainesville and Orlando. The female victim stated that she and the male victim later identified as, again, red acted, were by the pool doing some stretches, deputy wrote. Uh, the female victim then stated that the defendant accused them both of doing inappropriate activities and began to shove her and smacked her across the face. Deputies noted a red mark on the female victim's face, which said, or they said, showed she had been struck. The female victim then stated that the defendant shoved the male victim and hit him as well. That according to authorities. Investigators said they took Ferragamo to jail without incident. She faces a count of each of battery domestic violence and battery touch or strike. According to records, she was released on Monday. Her attorney of record did not immediately respond to a law and crime request for comment. Now, what sounds weird about that story? So she was she had domestic on there, which means she lived with one of the two people or had a relationship with one of the two people. My guess is with the man. I'm getting a cheater's vibe out of this. Like Joey yes. Greco came walking up. I'm Joey Greco. Welcome to Cheaters. Right. And I think they were by the pool. That's right. Joey goes, hey, our investigators found their, they're at the pool right now. What do you want to do? And she's like, let's go confront them. That's right. So Joey takes her to the pool. Mm -hmm. She starts beating the crap out of him. The cops show up. Cheater's like, oh, we're out. Yep. <laughs> we want nothing to do with this. That's right. That's right. And she ends up taking the taking the, she, the fall yeah, for she's it. Like, but Joey Greco. And the cop's like, Joey Greco who? That's right. There's Who's, no Joey Greco. There's no Joey Greco here. So she ends up taking the fall because she catches them going at it by the pool. And they claim they were doing stretches. Yeah. Nobody stretches before going in the pool. Nobody. Yeah. Especially a residential pool. Nobody does stretches by the pool. No, people have sex by a pool. That's right. That's exactly what they were doing. I mean, he might have been stretching some. Hey! Hey, hi -oh. He might have stretched it out a few times before he put it in, if you know what I mean. We continue with the... Uh, I'm just glad we got a Joey Greco reference. That's right, he's, yeah. He's one of those C-list celebrities I just want to hang out with. Me too! I was, too. Close, I was close in Ring of Honor. He's you, a big wrestling fan, yeah. Is he? Yeah, and it came out, and I was like, I'd love to meet him. So they're trying to arrange it when we're in, wherever he stays. You know what we need to do? We need to get him on the show. Yes. Oh, please, God, yes. Let's get him on, and we'll 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 tag team him. 
I just want to be like, hello, Joey Greco. I'm the Beer City Bruiser. This is Dumb Crime, Stupid Criminals. <laughs> you know, I saw, uh, I went to see Dave Chappelle this weekend. Okay. Um, and uh, Danelle Rollins was one of the openers for him. And he kept doing the, uh, hi, it's me. He kept doing the whole uh, uh, Taylor Swift uh, uh, song. So I have that stuck in my head now. So I want to sing that to Joey Greco. <laughs> Hello, it's me. Um, I don't know why. I, that's such I, an I encourage our listeners to go and watch Cheaters. It is fantastically horrible. It is. And, and if you're high or drunk, it's perfect to watch. And I recommend the episode where Joey gets stabbed. Oh, it is such a just, bad work. <laughs> I was just going to say that. It is yeah. such a work. It, yeah, there's, there's, there's no way that's a real episode. It's not. And like... He everyone says if you were stabbed, where's the scar? Because he took himself off that. Remember that was his yeah. last, and he just became a, the creator and executive producer. Well, he he did come back, but he he would only do stand ups from there. He wouldn't exactly. Yeah, he, he wouldn't do the actual investigations. Right, yep. right. And everyone kept asking to see the scar, and he's like, "Oh, there, no, you don't need to see that." It's like you got stabbed that big. There's a scar. Yeah, you didn't get stabbed. No. Yeah, it was one of those retractable switchblades you get from the magic shop. Yeah, and the best is just the guy flipping out of the boat in the water. <laughs> yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's one of that's one of my pet like pet their uh, guilty pleasures is cheaters. Enjoy. So, do we confront him at the end of the interview? Holy God, yeah. About being stabbed. Yeah. Do you think he walks off the show? Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> no, I want to be friends with him. So I do too. Yeah. Yeah. It, we'll, we'll be like, hey, everyone says it's fake, but we trust you, Joey. We believe you. Why would yeah, you lie to us, we Joey? We believe you, Joey. By the way, Joey, um, have you been cheating on your wife? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I want to work. I'm going to work on that. I'm going to work on getting Joey Greco. Oh, he hasn't been relevant in 20 years, but it's perfect. <laughs> He's always relevant because you know what? They always replay um, cheaters. Uh, they have cheaters marathons on the Viacom stations. Well, I just got a new Samsung TV, and there's a Cheaters commercial on Samsung Plus. Yeah, they're they're always rerunning it on on Viacom and different Viacom stations. You can get it on so, Hulu. You can get yep. it on Paramount Plus, which has the MTV. See, Viacom, yep. Viacom, Viacom, yep. Paramount. It's always running. It's always yep. running. So, uh, yeah. So he's more relevant than ever. And Joey, we love you. We love you, Joey. If you're if you if you happen to tune into this podcast, we love you, Joey. We want you on the show. If I could grow a soul patch, I would. Just for Joey. I'm telling you, Joey's a man. He is. Joey Joey is calm in in times where he shouldn't be calm and he is shook up in times where he shouldn't be shook up. Oh, my favorite Joey lines are when the they start to hit each other and he's like, Come on now. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, come on. Come over here, explain yourself. Or the ironic times when you're in the middle of chaos and you're you know, like he's caught them in the middle of screwing or something and he's like, Do you really think your dick should be there right now? <laughs> You know, or something like that. He'll throw in like a, a line that you're just like, that's funny, Joey Greco. Yeah. You are a funny man. He's been writing that down in the minivan. He's like, this that's is what right. I'm going to say if they're having sex. That's this is right. what I'm going to say if they're doing yeah. this. this. And he's got it all lined up. Yeah. Yeah. That cool Joey Greco voice. So, yeah. He's like, uh, so how long have you been inside? And it's like, whoa, <laughs> Joey Greco. Yeah. He just, he has those cool lines that he comes out with. And you're yeah. just like, oh, that's. Oh, that's biting satire, Joey Greco. Yeah, Joey's amazing. He is amazing. We're getting him on this show. It's going to happen. Uh, yeah, I'm in for sure. 100%. Yes. I've always wanted to meet him. I had no idea. Oh, I'm a huge Joey Greco fan. Oh, I am too. I'm a All huge right. Cheaters fan. I'm a huge, uh, I didn't like the, was it Robert, uh, who's the, the third? 
Um, oh, oh, he's dead. Clark Gable's dead. kid. Clark Gable, Clark Gable, Gable yeah. the third. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He, he died, died of a drug overdose. Yeah, yeah. And I bet he got the drugs from that show. <laughs> he probably did. Yeah, it's probably a groupie who got it for him too. For sure, for sure. Yeah. You know, Joey was the only one sober on that show. Yeah. 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 There, who was the who was the second guy? The second guy. It was, was the middle guy, Tom something, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 But he had started out, I think, on this on the show same time Joey was. But he, he was, was. Yeah. When Joey would do, he they'd alternate between the two where Joey would do the stand up and then he would do the investigation or Joey would do both. Wasn't and he, then Joey got stabbed and then that guy started doing both. Wasn't he one of the detectives who would scout ahead of time? Yep. He was one of them. Yeah. OK. Yep. Yeah. OK. That's what I thought. We'll find what out I love too is like before when you watch him before he's wearing just like a t-shirt and jeans or something. But then when when Joe when he becomes the actual full time host, he dresses exactly like Joey dresses yeah, with yeah. the black shirt and the black uh, suit jacket. Yeah, <laughs> if it was either a suit jacket or he had had the leather yet the leather the, jacket. Yeah, yes. the leather jacket, the leather yeah. three quarter coat. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I love Joey. Yeah. God, we're Joey fanboying right now. <laughs> Our listeners are like, what the hell? Everybody's like, Joey Greco, you guys are high. Yeah. What's wrong with you? He doesn't yeah. do appearances or anything. I've looked it up. No? No, I haven't seen him do any appearances lately. I bet you he's like an accountant somewhere in Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> he's probably he's probably got like a normal job. He's trying to he's trying to blend in with society. He's like, No, I'm not Joey Greco. <laughs> you got rid of the wrong guy. Yeah, you got the wrong guy. I don't know what a cheater is. Sorry. No idea. <laughs> Got no idea. He, Come on, Joey. Say it one time. I'm Joey Greco. Welcome to Cheaters. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't Can't know. Do that. No, no. I just, uh, <laughs> my name is uh, Joe Schmo. <laughs> he doesn't even change Joe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he doesn't change his first name. He just changes the last name. My my name is Joe Garagiola. <laughs> I have no idea who, who you're talking about. Uh, yeah. I, I I'm getting him on the show, damn it. Yeah, like him I, I loved. And then who's the guy that did the, the blind date show? Rob, oh. not Rob Riggle. Uh, but he had two two first names. He had yeah. a first name and his last name was a first name. Yeah, no, I know what you're talking about. Um, he wasn't as cool as Joey, but he was cool. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. No, but Joey, yeah. Joey Greco. We're Joey's getting, the man, yeah. We're getting him on the show. And the thing is, you'd think he'd be more famous with a name like Joey Greco. Like, man, that's a cool name. That is. Because it's half a Greco-Roman wrestling. Exactly. Right. And Joey. <laughs> yeah. And do you think he did that on purpose when he picked a stage name? He's like, he's like you know what? I'm going to look him up. Do you think that was his stage name? I think it is. I, it had to be. Because he probably thought, I'm going into these situations. I'm going to have to be fighting with some of these people. I'm going to have to get him in a Greco-Roman knuckle lock. And when I no, do. His, his real name is Joel Stephen Greco. It is? It is. Joel Stephen Greco. Yep. You're going to be Otherwise known as Joey Greco. Really? Does he hosted it, for 10 seasons. Does it say where he resides now? He resides in... In our hearts. That's where he yeah. resides. He was born in Long Island. It doesn't say where he currently is. He kind of looks like a Long Island guy. So the other guy was Tommy Habib. He actually replaced Tommy as a host of Cheaters until he got stabbed. And then he was replaced by Clark Gable III. Yeah, yeah. But then he returned for the finale because Clark Gable III had passed away. Yeah, he passed away. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Clark was hooked on them drugs. Oh, yeah. Yep. 
He did a pseudo reality show. Oh, here, this is it. He hosted a pseudo reality show called Ghost Breakers, which followed around paranormal investigators. Yes. Yeah. You remember that? No, but that's awesome. See, that's what I'm saying. We got to have him on the show. <laughs> we got to talk to the man. He, uh, he hosted a Netflix. 2017 was the last time he did anything. That's all right. Yeah. Like I he said, played, he probably went he back to accounting. Net, yeah, net, Netflix Cheaters is what it was called in 2017. He does cons and autograph signings. Then he's got to have an agent. He has to. Yep. We're going to find him. Yeah. We're going to find Joey Greco. He's coming on this show. <laughs> yes, he is. By yeah, God. whatever happened to Joey Greco. Yeah. That's right. We're going to have Joey Greco on this show. We're going to talk about cheaters. We're going to talk about the stabbing. We're going to talk about his, his ghost show. We're going to talk about, um, we're going to talk about what kind of, what kind of women he likes. We've got to talk about the, the soul patch. The soul patch. We're going to talk about, uh, do you get hit on when you're filming cheaters? <laughs> do you get groupies? He, you know, he does. Yeah. He's just dripping an ass, that Joey Greco. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got to get back to our program here. Yes, we do. That's, yes, we do. It's just gotten ridiculous now. All right, so we're we're in the middle of talking about um, bra- we're in the middle of talking about um, what were we talking about? <laughs> we're, we're talking about the cheater. That's what we was. You, you were going on the next story, actually. Uh, we were talking about uh, people getting. Um, oh, oh, in twenty twenty, Joey works as a fitness trainer and a real estate agent. See, I told you he was doing something normal. A real estate agent. Yeah, he lives in Dallas, Texas. He's in Dallas? Yeah. He works for Briggs, Freeman, Stolzby's International Realty. I would not take Joey Grecker for being a Dallas guy. He's a Dallas guy. Hmm. All right. So there you go. Okay. He's a Cowboys (laughs) fan. All right. Well, we we don't know that. He's from Jersey, so he he could be a Giants fan, but he lives in Dallas now. Yeah, he can't be a Giants Giants fan living in Dallas, I don't think. Oh, I don't think so either, but no. He's Joey freaking Gecko. He can do what he wants. Yeah, he's Joey freaking Greco, dripping an ass. That's what he yeah. is. Yeah. And f- you know he is if he's a fitness guy too. You know, he's Oh yeah. 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 Wonder if he's grown fra- facial hair in all that time. It, the picture I saw, no. He still has a soul patch and that's it. Okay. All right. Joey Greco, we're getting him. But he's really tan and really jacked. I bet he is, yeah. He's swimming in the women. Yeah. Jim Tan and what's the other one? Jim Tan and what was the Jersey Shore deal? Uh, Jim Tan Laundry. Yeah, Jim Tan Laundry. Is that what it was? Yeah, Yeah. GTL. GTL. Okay. All right. We continue on with uh, what we we were slapping people up. That's what we were doing. Yes, we were. Yes. Uh, Our next one is over chickens. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a good reason to slap somebody. This has me thinking about the Briscoes now when I read this story. <laughs> We're going back to Florida uh, over a chicken brawl. <laughs> <laughs> a chicken brawl ends up ruffling feathers, sending two men to jail in Florida. God love you, Briscoes. Yep. Uh, two men ruffled feathers after getting into a fight over chickens roaming a Florida street on Friday. <laughs> Again, thank you to A. Wilton. Who's roaming the street? The chickens or the guys? <laughs> Both, yes. Yeah. 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 Like, hey, I'm going to fight you. I need something to hit you with. Oh, a chicken. A chicken, yes. Uh, the Lee County Sheriff's Office arrested 65-year-old, you should know better by the age of 65, 
uh, 65-year-old Robert Douglas Burasa and 43-year-old DeShiel Lasada Gonzalez after the fight broke out on Fort Myers Beach. It's a beach fight over chickens. Yeah. Yeah. In Fort Myers where people go to die. That's right. Where people go. It's God's waiting room. <laughs> uh, according to NBC affiliate WBBH, the men started first started yelling, but the situation escalated into a physical altercation. Neighbors said the chickens have been roaming their Fort Myers neighborhood for a few weeks. As some even leave food and water for them, I would feed the chickens. We have chickens in our subdivision. Yeah. yeah. Uh, others clearly aren't welcoming towards them. The video shows officials taking three chickens away from the area where they were escorted to a <laughs> Lee County domestic animal services van. See what we did there? You know the author was like, oh, this is so good. This is so good. Mm-hmm. Uh we're guessing taking a ride to jail over chickens isn't all it's cracked up to be, the sheriff's <laughs> department said in a post. Oh, even they're punny. <laughs> Both men were arrested for one count of misdemeanor battery. Arrest records show Burasa was released on $1,500 bond. Lasada Gonzalez was released but has not had a bond set. So there you go. Chicken fight. <laughs> Chicken fight. They don't actually use chickens. They just were fighting over the chickens. Right. That's part of our food. We're going now into a food theme. We went Ah, from battery to food, and we're making that transition with that story. Because chicken is food. That's right. Chicken is food. Our next food-related story has to do with a squatter who dressed in an owner's clothes. He went into a house, decided to squat in this house, dressed in the owner's clothes, clothes, raided the fridge in a ritzy beach house. So this is like a single white female situation, huh? Oh, yeah, very much so. A suspected squatter who allegedly moved into a multi-million dollar home in Bonita Springs, Florida. Again, we're back in Florida. Uh, was arrested after authorities found her eating a sandwich and wearing the real homeowner's clothing. <laughs> hey, she's squatting right, man. That's right. At least if you're going to find a squatter, it's a female squatter. Yeah, and, you know, just wearing your clothes. Is it less scary? I have to ask you this question. In all all seriousness, is it less scary to find a female squatter than a male squatter? No, because if they're squatting, they got something wrong with them, I think, mentally. Okay. Okay. Uh, Lee County Sheriff's Office deputies arrested 54-year-old Luisa Villa Villa, uh, on Monday afternoon while the homeowner's home's owner was away, authorities were called to the swanky beach home along Hickory Boulevard on Monday after a maintenance worker who was taking care of the house saw a suitcase in the kitchen and heard a dog barking inside. <laughs> the owner can be going on vacation. Big deal. Yeah, that's true. Uh, deputies surrounded the home before making their way inside where they reportedly found Via eating a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> She's probably been mid-biting like... Uh, can I help you? <laughs> yeah. Do you guys want me to make you one too? <laughs> like, I clearly own this place. Look at my outfit. <laughs> yeah. Look at I. I'm wearing the clothes that were in the closet. Yeah. Uh, the suspect was wearing one of the homeowner's athleta dresses, according to authorities, and had also brought her small dog with her into the home. Oh, look at that. Even the dog's a squatter. Yeah, the dog's a squatter, too. Apartments in the area are sold for around a million dollars, according to Zillow. Jeez. Yeah. 
The sheriff's office described the property where the crime took place as a multi-million dollar home, according to NBC2. Uh, Via has a home in Fort Myers, according to the outlet, but told deputies she was the homeowner of the beach house and showed them forged documents that said she recently purchased the property. Wow, she's going all out. She's not just a squatter. She's like thought about this. Yeah. Authorities called the real homeowner who said she did not know Via and the suspect was arrested. Neighbors expressed shock over the police presence, noting it's a safe area, let alone that someone tried to fraudulently move into the house. I don't know where she thought she was going to stay or how long she thought she was going to stay (laughs) because all these houses have people that check in on them all the time. So it it isn't an area that has permanent housing, evidently. I don't know. Yeah. Their vacation homes. Uh, Via was charged with resisting an officer, larceny, fraud, and burglary, according to Lee County Sheriff's Office arrest database. The arrest comes just months after law enforcement in Fort Lauderdale removed 10 squatters from a million-dollar property that was left riddled with bugs and damage. Other law enforcement near Port Orange, Florida, in June dismantled structures on an island known for its drug use that was overtaken by squatters. They took over an island. Okay. They took their home. <laughs> uh, you know, I I kind of laugh at intern Yoko's mom every once in a while when she, you know, intern Yoko's parents live down in Florida and they're afraid to come visit her at times because they're afraid their house will be broken into and squatted in. Makes sense now. And I like, like to, thing. I like to laugh at her and tell her, no one's going to break into your home. You're gone for a week. Huh? But maybe, but look. maybe there's maybe there's merit to it. I don't know. Maybe her neighbors had squatters. Uh, the the, the de- development's brand new. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I don't think there's anybody that's going to well, You know what? You just tell her, hey, look, you got three more years till squatters know you guys are there. You're brand <laughs> new. You're good. They don't even know about you yet. You have a grace period. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It hasn't hit the dirt sheet yet. You're good. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Speaking of food, do you like finger sandwiches? Oh, I love them. Yeah. Do you like fingers? The best thing about going to a cocktail party is get these little cucumber sandwiches. That's right. Do you like fingers? <laughs> I mean, I like, like my fingers. <laughs> do, you like, do you like chicken fingers, right? Oh, yeah. Those are good. Okay. Do you like regular fingers? <laughs> <laughs> no. Can't say I had one. Well, a suspect bites off part of a New York Police Department's officer's finger. After Ow. a bust in a wild queen's car chase. Nummy. So a car chase ends in a bitten finger. Okay. That's right. <laughs> Tastes like pork. Uh, a Brooklyn man bit off the tip of a New York Police Department sergeant's finger in a Queens police precinct holding cell after leading officers on a wild car chase. Wait, he was in the holding cell already? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just decided he needed a snack. Papa Bruiser shared a story one time where they had a gentleman in, in, in a holding cell and they were pro- they were in the process of processing him and he jumped up on the desk and mm-hmm. took a dump. Oh my God. So they, they're like, all right, we're putting you in a cell. He wasn't fully processed. They put him in a cell and the gentleman decided to make himself erect and then stick his wiener out the bars and jingle it around like, hey, <laughs> you know, I said, what would you guys do? He's like, we all took our nightsticks out. And one by one, walked along the bars with the nightstick hitting the bars. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh. You know what else got hit? <laughs> oh. Ow. Well, I don't think that's going to beat this story here, so to speak. Um, <laughs> if you know what I mean. 
Uh, the chaos began Wednesday just before midnight when officers in Jamaica noticed a blue Nissan Altima with bogus license plates driving on Liberty Avenue near Merrick Boulevard, police said. East Flatbush resident Lenny Rodriguez Cruz, who's all of 28 years old, was behind the wheel and took off when officers tried to pull him over because his out-of-state plates were expired and registered to a different car. Whoopsie. Uh, Rodriguez Cruz zoomed off with police officers in pursuit, flying down Liberty Avenue and then cutting through Rufus King Park in downtown Jamaica. Multiple people jumped out of the way of his car as he sped through the park before he went against traffic on Hillside Avenue. The chase ended when Rodriguez Cruz smashed into four cars, including a police vehicle on Parsons Boulevard near the Grand Central Parkway service, service road. Uh, cops arrested him there, but the mayhem continued in the holding cell of the 103rd precinct. <laughs> Not the right place for the mayhem to ensue. No, no. Uh, there, cops say, while being lodged in the precinct cells, the individual, who's Rodriguez Cruz, began to act disorderly and bit off a portion of a sergeant's finger, causing a serious physical injury. A photo shared by a police source shows the officer at Jamaica Hospital holding up the injured tip of his left ring finger. Rodriguez Cruz was charged with driving under the influence, assault with intent to cause disfigurement or dismemberment, and other counts. He pleaded not guilty at arraignment on Friday in Queens Criminal Court, where his bail was set at how much cash or how much bond. Oh, this has got to be because he assaulted an officer, so $500,000. Ooh, you swung high on that one. Uh, go a little yeah. lower. All right, let's go $25,000. No, 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 much higher. You were close, closer at five hundred. dollars Okay, so $250,000. Bingo on the cash. How much on the bond? I have no idea. It's 10% of that, isn't it? So No, no. Uh, uh, the, the, there's a cash amount and a bond amount. So the cash amount was 250000 The bond amount would be a little Oh, that would be $2.5 million, right? No, 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 no. Uh, uh, I got it back. I, yeah, I don't know. So they, they set a cash amount if you have the cash and then a bond amount if you're going to use a bail bondsman. Oh, okay. Yeah. In, in New York. So um, if you've got the cash, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a discount. So if you've got the cash, it's $250,000. If you're going to use a bail bondsman, it's a little bit higher. So how much higher do you think it was? Well, let's say like, I'm going to go with $500,000. That's close. It was 350000 Okay. So 100000 more. Okay. Yeah, 100000 more. So, I like how he pled not guilty when clearly. <laughs> yeah, right. They, who they else? got him dead to right. Yeah, yeah. who else built, bit this guy? You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of stupid to say, you know, oh, no, I'm not guilty. Uh, let's continue on with the food, shall we? We've got three more stories. No, yeah, three, no, four more. Th four, four more, three more after this one. Uh, we continue with food. A St. Louis man's crime spree included an armed taco holdup. <laughs> like he used a taco as a weapon? Yes, I, I guess. Uh, a Missouri man is locked up following an alleged crime spree that included him pointing a gun at multiple victims while stealing a taco from a Mexican restaurant in St. Louis. Hey, sometimes you get hungry robbing people. You can. And a taco is a nice way to eat. I mean, it's, it's very portable. Yeah, it's on the go. On the go. You take it with you. 19-year-old Antonio Murray was charged this week with robbing Lily's Panadera. 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 Yeah. 
My, my Spanish is rusty at this point in the program. <laughs> Lily's Panadiera at gunpoint earlier this month. Witnesses told cops that Murray pointed a gun at bakery employees before swiping a taco. Uh, after being collared, Murray reportedly admitted that he walked up to the taco stand with the gun out, asked for a taco, and left without paying, according to a probable cause <laughs> statement. A female employee told cops that she had been preparing the taco for another customer when Murray approached her and grabbed the food item, declaring it belonged to him while pointing the gun at multiple people. I hope it was a vegan taco, so he was so disappointed when he bit into it. <laughs> right? I hope it was yeah. nothing but cabbage. Yeah. Uh, when arrested, Murray charged with, was, or I'm sorry, when arrested, Murray charged with felony robbery was carrying a BB gun in his waistband, which did resemble a real firearm. The taco holdup is just one entry on Murray's pending criminal court docket. The teen faces a pair of misdemeanor property damage counts for allegedly smashing two separate store windows. Of more legal concern is a complaint of charging Murray with breaking into a St. Louis home on September 5th and striking two victims, stealing a TV and tasing a third victim. He oh, geez. Yeah, nice guy. He allegedly returned to the residence on September 17th and attacked a man before whipping a female victim with a belt. Murray then retrieved a broomstick and inserted it into the woman's anus. Oh! Yeah. Oh, he's not going to get citizen of the year in St. Louis. I'll tell you that much. No, no. He wanted the remote. Just ask for the remote. Oh, God, yes. Uh, after victims identified Murray via a police photo lineup, of course, they had to put a broomstick in his hand to identify him. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Um, he was arrested for robbery, burglary, assault, and sodomy. The defendant was interviewed and admitted to all the crimes investigators reported to an or reported in an arrest warrant filed yesterday. A judge has ordered Murray to be held without bond, ruling that the teen is a danger to the crime victim, the community, or another person. You think? <laughs> I think it's a danger to everybody. Like he started this off with, oh yeah, he stole a taco, and then all of a sudden we're shoving broomsticks up ladies' asses. <laughs> this, this took a hard left turn. <laughs> really hard when you include the broomstick. <laughs> Just saying. <clears throat> yeah, it's trying to mop. <laughs> he went back to the same residence to get the remote. She wouldn't give him the remote, so he stuck a broom over her ass. <laughs> Got the remote. You think when he stuck it up there, she was like, oh, no, I'm so loot. Like, I'm going to have diarrhea now. He's like, oh, diarrhea. I need a taco. Hold on. I'll be back. <laughs> Bruiser. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> I need a taco. I'll be right back. <laughs> Keep that room warm for me. <laughs> so you're storing your brooms all wrong. You don't put it in the closet. You put up your wife's ass. Oh, no. <laughs> That's horrible. Well, at least he's in jail. He can get all the brooms he wants. Oh. <laughs> He'll be, he will be getting all the brooms he wants. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, let's move on. This one uh, comes from... This one come from Brandon? I think this one came from Brandon. Um, Mexican police have cuffed a crook over a demon doll, which Ooh. was a Chucky doll. 
Ooh. Are you ready for this? Oh, yeah. This is an interesting way to hold somebody up. (laughs) We go to Mexico City where handcuffed, a knife sticking out of his overalls, the Chucky doll hunches against the wall as police hold him by his bright orange hair to take a mug shot. That's right. We're talking about a Chucky doll. Wait, they handcuffed the doll? Follow me here. Yeah, I'm trying to. <laughs> so, okay, so right now we have a doll handcuffed with a knife in his front pocket. Okay. In a bizarre twist, Chucky and his owner were taken into lockup in a town in northern Mexico earlier this past week. The puppet master, identified only as Carlos N. under Mexican norms, allegedly used the demon doll to scare people and demand money, according to local media. I'll show you a picture in a minute here. Both were charged with disturbing the peace and putting others' integrity at risk. Wait, both? (laughs) They're charging a doll, too? (laughs) Yes. One officer at the police department in Monclova, or Monclova, in, is it Coahuila, Coahuila State, was seen laughing as she held up the long knife taken from Chucky. Mexican media reported the officer who put Chucky in cuffs was later reprimanded for not taking her job seriously. (laughs) Carlos N. was later released, local outlets reported, though the Chucky doll's whereabouts are still unknown. Oh, no. So there's a loose demonic doll out there. Here's the picture of Chucky being arrested. (laughs) (laughs) Mrs. Bruce is going to be so happy. She She can't look at Chucky dolls. Really? Well, you know how there's that one movie when you're a kid that scares you? Yeah. That was the movie when she was right at that right age where it scared her. So I take it so she, she, she doesn't want to watch the uh, Chucky series on USA? No, and I tried watching. I couldn't get into it. No? I watched the first 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 year, first series, first season. Yeah, I got like four episodes in. I'm like, yeah, this is, it's great nostalgia. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's good. The, the series is great. Yeah. But I'll tell her how Chucky was arrested. But now, but his whereabouts are unknown. <laughs> his whereabouts are unknown, yeah. <laughs> uh, because he got away. Doesn't he always get away? He always gets away. That's right. This is the worst excuse to call the cops ever. <laughs> and it has a... We've heard some pretty bad excuses on this show, too. <laughs> and it has a supernatural twist to it, if you're ready for this. I'm ready. A man fears the worst as 20 vultures gather on his neighbor's roof. Oh, geez, your neighbor's dead. So he called the police. Oh, yeah, your neighbor's dead. A Tennessee homeowner, if you can believe this, uh, a Tennessee homeowner has shared unsettling footage of a committee of vultures gathered on the roof of his neighbor's home. Papa uh, Bruiser has vultures that'll visit him in the desert, yeah. and he'll yell, "It's not my time yet!" <laughs> property. In a video posted to Reddit under the handle KJRJK, a suburban resident living just south of Nashville captured the moment when he spotted up to twenty vultures gathered on top of the property next door. It was pretty foreboding, especially since I had never seen so many vultures gathered in one place before, said the Redditor, who was asked not to be named, according to Newsweek. What added to the creepy feeling was that it already was a stormy day, which set a bit of a dark mood, even though I don't believe in bad omens or anything like that. Seeing the vultures did make me pause for a second, (laughs) 
my mind was racing with the dark reasons they could be there. Vultures have been associated with death as far back as biblical times. In the Bible, Jesus twice uses the phrase, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. According to Paul Walter Beek, a volunteer program coordinator at the Boyce Thompson Arboretum in Arizona, vultures are drawn to dead animals because of their keen sense of smell, which is unique to the species. They smell the unique sulfurous chemical compounds of decaying meat from high in the sky, then will circle around downwards until they find the aroma's origin. Given that reputation, the homeowner in this instance was perhaps understandably perturbed to see so many of the birds. I couldn't help but think about how vultures can smell dead animals, which led to thoughts of a dead animal in the attic or worst case scenario, my neighbor being dead inside the house. He's dead, man. (laughs) Concerned at what might be happening inside, he decided to turn to Reddit for an explanation. However, this being the internet, what he was mostly greeted with instead was a weird and not so wonderful array of comments and grim theories as to what it might mean. One user warned vultures swarm around gas leaks because a key ingredient in the odor of carrion is ethyl mercaptan, which is a chemical added to natural gas. Another wrote this actually. So that's still not a good situation. If there's a gas leak at your neighbor's house, that's still a bad situation. Right. Another wrote this actually happened to my former boss's neighbor. They noticed a lot of vultures circling the house and later found out that both the neighbor and his dog had passed away inside. Okay. That makes sense. A third commented, there may be a corpse in that house, so please call the police to do a wellness check. With a fourth adding, your neighbor is very obviously hoarding a multitude of dead things, either on the second floor (laughs) or in the attic. I did not anticipate the flood of comments speculating about my neighbor being dead or a murderer hiding bodies in the attic, he said. It was honestly overwhelming to have so many people urge me to call the police. I do understand their concern, though, because I jumped to the same conclusion at first. Thankfully, he reckons he has worked out what they were there for, and it is fairly mundane. I'm pretty confident that the vultures were just drying off and warming up after the rain, he said. It is not the most exciting answer, but I'm relieved there's probably nothing happening in that house. (laughs) Oh, so he never called the police or anything? I guess not. So we don't know if his neighbor's alive or dead. That's right. What a jerk. He's leaving us hanging. I guess. What a dick. <laughs> Glad he's not my neighbor. Right. I'd die in my house and he doesn't call the police. And I'm going to leave it on a good note today. All right. Uh, our, our buddy, A. Wiltfong, who sent us a lot of stories this week, sent me this one heartwarming story that potentially could be a heartbreaker. Okay. And it does have to do sort of with the legal system. Okay. That's why we throw it in. It's not really a dumb story. It's not really a stupid story. Okay. But it may tug at your heartstrings. And yes, it has to do with a little bit of a pet rodent. <laughs> okay. Okay. A Venezuelan man and his we're not, pet... We're not putting gerbils up places, are we? No, 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 no. Nothing like that. Uh, a Venezuelan man and his pet squirrel made it to the U.S. border, but now he's preparing to say goodbye to the squirrel. Why? Squirrel couldn't get his green card? <laughs> <laughs> yes, sort of. I'll explain. Uh, during the weeks it took for Yison and Nico to migrate from Venezuela to the U.S., they navigated dangerous jungles and over a dead body. The two are so inseparable that Yison 
sold his phone so both had enough bus money to continue their journey. Oh, they charge a ticket for the squirrel too. Okay. Yes. <laughs> now as Yison prepares to finally enter the U.S., it's likely that he will have to leave Nico behind. That's because Nico is a squirrel. The 23-year-old man and his pet squirrel are an unusual but blunt reflection of the emotional choices that migrants make over what to take and what to leave behind as they embark on the dangerous trip north. Yison, who declined to give his last name because he fears for his family's safety in Venezuela, said going without Nico was without or was out of the question. But Mexico is where they might be forced to part ways. Yison, who is among the millions of Venezuelans fleeing political and economic unrest back home, secured an appointment for Saturday to present himself at the border to seek entry to the U.S. and request asylum. Animals are generally not allowed to cross the border, and for good reason. Well, yeah, we don't want to disrupt our ecosystem. Yeah, it would practically. But I, I don't think withholding your last name is going to protect you because you're a dude with a pet squirrel. There's not a lot of people out there with a pet squirrel. <laughs> I think he met him along the way, probably. Uh, it would practically be like starting without nothing without Nico, Yison said. Many who set off on the roughly 3,000-mile or 4,800-kilometer journey to the U.S. do so with only what they can carry and their loved ones. For Yison, that was a squirrel with a black stripe and flecks of white hair who made the long trip nesting in a red-knit cap stuffed inside a backpack. For six months, Yison and Nico lived in a tent at an encampment with hundreds of other migrants in Matamoros. The site is across from the Texas border city of Brownsville, which is hundreds of miles east of Eagle Pass and not experiencing the same dramatic increase in migrants that prompted the mayor to issue an emergency declaration this past week. On a recent day, Nico crawled over Yison's shoulders and stayed close while darting around the tent. Chances are slim that Yison can take Nico across the border, but volunteers at the encampment aren't giving up. Gladys Canis uh, the director of a non-governmental organization, which I don't know if I can pronounce the name of it. It's uh, Ayadinolis A. Triumphar, I believe, said she encountered other migrants who want to cross with their pets, cats, dog, and even cats, dogs, and even a rabbit once, but until now, never a squirrel. Canis helped connect Yison with a veterinarian to document Nico's vaccinations to provide border agents. She is hopeful they will allow the squirrel to cross, whether with Yison or with a volunteer. There's a connection between him and the squirrel, so much that he preferred to bring it with him than leave the squirrel behind with family in Venezuela and face the dangers that come with the migrant journey. Uh, they gave each squirrel after nearly stepping on him one day in Venezuela. The squirrel appeared to be newly born, and Yison took him home, where he named him Nico, and his family members fed him yogurt. Oh, fed him That's yogurt. Sweet. Yeah. yeah. The picky squirrel, uh, Yison said, preferred nibbling on pine trees and is fed tomatoes and mangoes, even in times when food is hard to come by. At first, Yison said he sought work in Colombia. He returned to find a loose pine splitter lodged in Nico's eye. Ow! Or splinter. Ah. Yeah, a pine splinter lodged in Nico's eye and resolved after that to take care of the squirrel and take him with him on the next journey to the U.S. Like thousands of migrants, Yison made the trip through the perilous jungle known as the Darien Gap, uh, where he said he found the body of a man under some blankets. 
He said he concealed Nico in a backpack when they boarded buses and crossed through checkpoint inspections in Mexico. But one time, Yison said, uh, a bus driver discovered the squirrel and made him pay extra to keep the animal on board. <laughs> Yison said he sold his phone for $35 to cover the cost. Wow, what a dick bus driver. Yeah. Once they reached the encampment in Matamoros, the pair settled into a routine. Yison makes money cutting hair by his tent and often falls asleep sharing the same pillow with Nico at night. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. He was bracing for a separation. I don't want him to be separated from me because I know that we get heart sick. I'm sure of that, Yison said. And if he doesn't get sick, I hope he gets to be happy and that he never forgets my face. Yeah, I hope that with the vaccines and stuff, they let them come through. Yeah, I hope that Nico can get vaccinated and they can let him through. Aw. That's a, a very sweet story. Here's a picture of Yason and Nico. Aw. Look at that. Two, two peas in a pod. Yeah, look at that. See, that's kind of touching. That's a touching way to end dumb crime, stupid criminals today. So there you go. We're pulling for you, Nico. We are. Yeah, we're pulling for you, Nico. We hope you get through. So, and Nico gets a job. <laughs> Not Yison. He can cut hair, but you know. Well, Nico can clean it up. Yeah, Nico can clean up the hair with a little broom. It, Give him a little. Squirrels broom. can water ski. Squirrels can sweep. That's right. They can sweep. So there you go. That'll do it for dumb crime, stupid criminals. Bruiser, what you got going on this weekend? I am training the youth uh, wrestling. It's amlwrestling.com slash training. And then uh, on October 1st, Kernsville, North Carolina. Got an AML show coming up there. Very excited. There you go. I've had a few people ask about uh, whether we got the T-shirts out yet or not. Not yet. We're working on it. Yep. Uh, we will have a, bruiser, a Cruiser and Bruiser T-shirt out here soon. Hopefully some other designs as well. Uh, we're working on that. So just please be patient. Um, I want to thank Jess Lurie for being on the show today. The book, The Taken Ones, is out right now and available. You can get it by clicking on the link in the description of this program. I encourage you to go get the book right now. It is wonderful. Um, so I encourage you to get it. Again, Jess Lurie, The Taken Ones, an excellent book. Uh, I got a chance to read it last week, and I was thoroughly enthralled. Very good book. So. Yeah, you're saying that off air. It's an amazing book. Amazing book. Amazing book. She's she's knocked it out of the park once again. And I want to thank people who who kind of stayed on me and then were like, hey, you got to have Jess on the show. Uh, believe me, I'd been trying the entire time to have her on, and and uh, I'm glad that I was able to uh, get a hold of the proper people and get her on. So yeah, uh, yeah, I, I was. It was my honor to have her on today. So uh, well, that's like you say, people want guests on not only send you who the guest is but a way to get a hold of them that's right that's right so we were glad we were able to get her on and look forward to having her on in the future so nice yeah uh tomorrow on this show supernatural news oh yeah yeah spooky and kooky that's right so and much much more this week uh coming up in the future we'll have cindy kazan from the dead files Ooh. Yeah, and we're looking forward to a good October. So, again, folks, if you've got uh, stories for for us here on Dumb Crime, Stupid Criminals, or if you have those parish air stories, we're looking forward to those parish air stories. Send them in, Tim at DarknessRadio.com, or if you've got parish air stories that you want to actually hear your voice on air, just go to DarknessRadioShow.com, click on that blue button on the right hand side, and leave them. You have a two minute window to do so. If you need more time, just click that blue button again. Leave your additional two minutes. I'll stitch it together. We'll put it here on the show. So, there you go. For Beer City Bruiser, I'm Tim Dennis. Thank you so much for tuning in today. 
to the best in true crime podcasting. You've been listening to True Crime Tuesday.